0: Welcome back, everybody, at CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I am your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I am here as always, by with the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFP Winning Edge. And Xavier Trish is back, Xavier underscore Trish T R I C H E on the Twitter machine. And um, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. We got twenty bowl games on the schedule today. So we are going to go lightning round, Nick, lightning round through the bowl games, and then we're going to hit the two playoff games uh, to start. But, boys, right when we fired up here, Ed Reed to the SWAC going to Bethune-Cookman. So, uh, you know, I think Nick, you and I, and and I think Xavier, too, we were all kind of skeptical about Dion uh, going to the SWAC, but he made it work. was awesome, and now he's uh, got a Power 5 deal at Colorado, he's getting all kinds of good transfers. So um I kind of like this launching off uh, point for former NFL players, and I think Ed Reed's going to do a great job, at least in recruiting. I don't know at all if he could coach. We weren't sure if Dion could, but he did a great job. So um your thoughts on Ed Reed, Nick, going to Bethune-Cookman? Well, uh,
1: there are few people in football I respect more, I think, than, than Ed Reed. Um I... Agree. I mean, obviously, you know, we've t- we talked about it before. When Deion Sanders was hired, it it really was weird to me, uh, and it still doesn't completely sit right when a, a you know somebody gets a Division One head coaching job um, with basically zero, you know, yeah, c- coaching experience. Uh, I know that uh, Ed Reed's been involved with the Miami program, and, and I believe he's done some of the. You know, similar stuff to what what Deion Doug did when he was involved in.
0: He's more uh, qualified to coach than Jeff Saturday. Uh, Well, that uh, (laughs) (laughs)
1: that very well could be. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's kind of exciting. And um, we've seen a little bit of this, uh, been a a little bit of a trend in the SWAC. Eddie George uh, has been, uh, you know, well, uh, you know, Tennessee State, I don't think, is actually. They're not in the swag, right? They're in a different conference, but in uh, and HBCU and, and uh, um, uh, you know, has had modest success so far. Hugh Jackson, big name, and it was a grambling uh, in his first year. This past year didn't necessarily go well. So uh, the, the bringing in the big names with the NFL ties – has has been a little bit hit or miss so far, but when when somebody gets it right, and Deion Sanders certainly did, um, it, it, it can have a huge huge impact. And and Ed Reed, like I said, I have a, a ton of respect for him. Uh, obviously, you know, as a player, one of the greatest uh, of all time at his position, um, but also just every uh, everything I've seen from him. Uh, You know, anytime he's featured on a broadcast of some sort, anytime, um, you know, somebody gets him uh, breaking down a, you know, a former play or a a past play uh, in his career or anything like that, just continually impressed uh, with him. So I'm excited about it. I have no idea if it's going to work. But, you know, you mentioned right as right as we started recording um or a little bit before this this news uh broke and and uh it's pretty exciting we'll see what happens
0: uh Xavier I have a very important question for you first Ed Reed or Troy Polamalu number one
1: and then Ooh. your thoughts
0: about uh Ed Reed going to the swack here
2: uh <clears throat> give me Troy because I hated the Ravens growing up attaboy yep that's right there there you go yep, that's Um, But no, I I love the Ed Reed move to the swag Just because at the end of the day This is something we kind of talked about In a lot of spaces Uh, Follow me on Twitter for that We talked about what Deion going to Jackson State meant And essentially we we came to the conclusion That at the very least What it does open up the door for Is coaches without the credentials Getting their their, their credentials at HBCUs Even if that does mean It ends up being a launching pad For a lot of these guys That's okay They would have had their stomping grounds at HBCUs And they would have had their ultimate impact at HBCUs. And this also goes for Ed Reed, you know, spending that time as an assistant, um, as well as, you know, somewhat of a consultant at uh, Miami, taking his talents over to Bethune-Cookman, I think will, once again, bring in a ton of kids who watched him growing up. Uh, He has cachet within the community. He has cachet within football, obviously. Um, He's one of the more trusted faces, names, voices in football, as Nick alluded to. Uh, When Ed Reed speaks, you listen. Um, And So I think at the end of the day, what, you know, he'll do at Bethune-Cookman is bring a stability, uh, bring a stabling force um, and hopefully, you know, once again, give, you know, give the cookman two, three, maybe even longer, you know, four or five, six good years to just, you know, once again, put another HBCU at the very least on the map for kids who otherwise would not have gone there.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, it's going to be an interesting signing and uh, let's see if Ed Reed has the type of success that Deion Sanders did. Uh, I think it's a great idea. I think like Xavier said, good for the swack, good for football. Uh, I think it's going to be great uh, for Ed Reed. So we'll see. Before we dive into, we got a couple of uh, transfer portal things to talk about. Xavier's going to hit us with a little bit of an overview of signing day as well. Uh, but any bowls that surprised you, Nick, uh, out of the ones that played over the recent week? You know, uh, obviously, hope everybody had a great holiday weekend and all that good stuff. But when we're paying attention to the football, uh, what was the biggest surprise to you? Because I Mid- Middle Tennessee winning. Uh, was fairly shocking to me. Um, Houston won kind of barely. New Mexico State had a big dub. Um, From the last week, was there anything that stood out to you from the Bulls?
1: Uh, Well, the biggest surprise, uh, as you guys know, I'm um, maybe the worst hype man for uh, (laughs) our our projections and, and things like that. Um, so maybe the most surprising thing to me is uh we've pretty much been absolutely killing it so
0: far. Nice.
1: Um we let's see the the Memphis uh Utah State game just wrapped up before we started recording Tuesday evening. Uh that was our 14th win. So we were 14 and five in our official Ooh. uh you know teams uh team strength projected point spreads against the spread. Um our uh, over unders um, are not quite as good but we've we've uh, not been punished for our only unders basically uh, to this point we are 14 and five on those um, so uh, definitely some luck in there you mentioned the Houston game they got a touchdown to cover the six and a half uh, in, in the you know last uh, minute the uh, game with uh, San Diego State middle Tennessee that that you mentioned where middle Tennessee just could not get anything going yet somehow won outright as an underdog um, a little bit surprised you know how much New Mexico State seemed to uh kind of dictate that game almost from start to finish, but um we've been fortunate to be on the right side more often than not and and uh coming off of last year's bowl results, which were horrible. Um, following you know two or three years of, of really really good results, it's nice to be on the the right side of things, and we're you know only halfway through, but uh, it, it's been great you know to to see how uh, our projections have have performed so far. But you know the games themselves, I think more often than not, and that Memphis blowout was uh, an exception. The Oregon State blowout against uh, Florida was an exception, but we've been treated to some pretty good games, Uh, a lot of close ones, a lot of, you know, one score, uh, games. Um, so that's, that's good to see as well when they're competitive and, and, you know, can keep our interest beyond, uh, just whether or not we're picking them correctly. Um, it, it it makes it a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. Xavier, any, any particular games stick out to you, uh, that you've seen so far?
2: I don't think any of that surprised me, but like today's Georgia Southern Buffalo game, just to kind of continue what Nick was talking about, extremely good game. Just a fun one to watch, right? Oftentimes we get bogged down, you know, especially the week of the college football playoff with games that maybe, you know, people don't care about as much. But the the the, the community bowl today I thought was extremely good. Um, obviously, you know, you had Georgia Southern tie fighting offense just kind of get bogged down. Turnovers obviously uh, helped Buffalo as well. I mean, this was a really close matchup, right? And you could, and what I love most from the game today, and what I've seen from a lot of bowl games, in particular this year, is the passion from both teams. But yeah, like, so today's game, I just felt like the competitiveness and the passion that both teams had, all, all, and I think both fan bases actually turned out pretty well for both ball clubs as well. Uh, so I felt like that was something we haven't seen for a while, obviously due to COVID and things like that. Uh, but I was happy to see, you know, a game that, between two six and six ball clubs, looked like it mattered on television as well as you know just not from the players but from the fans as well.
0: Uh, all right. So let's talk about the transfer portal a little bit before we get into the game action for this week here. Um and I mean it has been hot, you know, Nick has been a busy man uh over the last uh you know couple weeks here. But Wake Forest quarterback Sam Hartman entered Tuesday and Notre Dame is expected to be the spot. We're kind of in the middle of that but um the Demon Deacons also lost Defensive lineman, uh, Rondell, uh, Bethroyd, uh, who looks, um, who like Hartman is a 100 rated player, a uh, DJ, uh, you from uh, Clemson. I'm not even that. I always trip over it. Uh, he's going to end up playing at Oregon state, which I think fits very well, uh, with their run game. So I think that's a awesome fit for him. Just, you know, a guy that's not going to have to throw the ball as much as he would at Clemson, I think is probably better for him. For Texas QB, uh, Hudson Card is going to end up at Purdue. Uh, so good news for the Boilermakers. Keenan Slovis uh, has signed with BYU after his one year in Pitt because Phil Dracovic is, go- or Dracovic is going over to Pitt. Um, they also, the BYU also lost offensive lineman uh, Clark Barrington to Baylor. Uh, the transfers have begun to make their way to Boulder for Dion. Uh, his quarterback, uh, Shadour Sanders, his son is there. Travis Hunter also, uh, going there. Jimmy Horn from USF, uh, Sadio Trey, Ore, uh, among others, uh, Georgia picked up a pair of intriguing wide receivers from the SEC rivals in Dominic level from Missouri and Rara Thomas from Mississippi state and highly sought after offensive lineman, uh, Johnny Cornelius has transferred to Oregon from Rhode Island. He had visited Ohio state as well. So, uh, lots of big time moves here, Nick. So, uh, what I think is, what do you think is most impactful? Is it these, this influx of talent going to Colorado, or is it you know, Card moving and, and DJ moving and Sam Hartman going to Notre Dame is a huge deal too, if if that does end up happening.
1: Yeah, for me, uh, I mean, the quarterbacks first and foremost, uh, and and Colorado's in that mix because Shadier Sanders has you know really been. Uh, very very good uh, early in his career um, is experienced and and very talented, um, but uh, you know I think Sam Hartman uh, probably is is the number one overall available player right now. Um, even if it seems like somewhat of a formality, he's he's probably headed to Notre Dame. Nothing's official yet. Um, maybe he'll you know, get an offer he can't refuse from, from uh, somewhere else, but it, it's looking that way right now. And, and that would be a big get uh, because Notre Dame is, is uh, you know, we've seen them in the playoff, the, you know, off and on over the last few years and Sam Hartman, you know, incredibly experienced, incredibly productive. I believe he's the ACC's all time uh, touchdown leader uh, among quarterbacks, touchdown passes. Um, so that would be a big pickup for Notre Dame. Um, uh, the, the move for DJ Uyunglele to Oregon state, I know that, you know, he's, he certainly had some issues. He has not the last couple of years looked like, um, the five-star quarterback coming out of high school, the. Even the freshman quarterback, who you know had that uh, huge, huge game against Notre Dame when he had an opportunity to start. Um, nevertheless, Oregon State is a team that's you know ten win team. They were uh, top fifteen in, in the polls. Um, might have an, uh, you know a chance to uh, be a major player in the Pac twelve in twenty twenty three. Um, They were very, very good this year, um, basically at at times down to their third string quarterback. Um, Didn't get a ton of production from that position. Uh, You know, Tristan Jedia had been uh, hurt most of the last couple of years. They go to Chance Nolan. Um, He gets hurt, had a neck injury that that basically uh, knocked him out. Um, in early October. So they go to Ben Goldbranson. And then of course, you know, they, they had the the short yardage and, and goal line, uh, Jack Coletto played, played some quarterback there as well as fullback and linebacker. Um, so Oregon State's been very, very creative in how they've utilized the quarterback position. Um, but they're, you know, they've, they've got some pieces uh, across the roster and they, they certainly are going to have to rebuild uh, some spots. The defensive line is going to be uh, a bit of a rebuild. The receiving core, probably a little bit of a rebuild. But I think that there's going to be you know enough talent left. And if DJ Uyengale, maybe the change of scenery um, sort of, you know, kind of rejuvenates his career a little bit, uh, regardless, I think his you know, arm strength, his athleticism probably adds a little bit. Um, that Oregon State just has has missed a little bit at that position the last couple of years. So I'm really, really intrigued by that. You know, if he's able to to recapture some of the magic that he had uh, as a high school player and and that former five-star player, um, maybe he's the the key to to taking Oregon State to that next level. Um, I think the the range of outcomes is pretty big. I think Sam Hartman is going to be you know, good, right? We can solidly expect him to be good. DG, uh, DJ Uyunglele could be great. Uh, he might also not be that great. So I, I think that the the uh, you know range of outcomes is is pretty big. Somewhat similar, maybe to Hudson Card. Probably not as high of a ceiling. He's going and and you know there is a new coaching staff there at Purdue. They brought in a, a defensive minded head coach, defensive coordinator at, at Illinois. So. You know, we'll have to see. It's not going to be uh quite the same expected uh level of quarterback production, even though they did bring in Graham Harrell as the play caller. You know, I'm I'm still a little I I'm not expecting that, you know, Purdue offense to to just continue to roll somewhat like they were under Jeff Braun. There there probably is going to be a little bit of a transition there and and we'll see if Card is able to to keep that thing going or, or, you know, if they will, um, if it'll take a little bit of time, I'm not super optimistic in Keaton slophus it, it seems like his play has kind of uh, tapered off a bit from where it was earlier in his career. Wasn't necessarily set up for a lot of success at Pitt. They really kind of, I think, overcorrected in some ways from when they were, you know, so pass happy uh, with Mark Whipple calling the plays and, and Kenny Pickett at quarterback um, kind of went the complete opposite and, and really wanted just to be a, a, you know, ground and pound type offense for the most part this year. Uh, Slovis, you know, just didn't really get a ton of opportunity to, to shine and, and didn't always look um, super comfortable. And, and that's sort of been a little bit of his issue the last couple of years. But um, all of those quarterbacks, now things are starting to work themselves out a little bit or we're getting some destinations and that musical chairs is, is sort of working itself out. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's really interesting to see and certainly fun to speculate, especially when there's somebody like DJU and he ends up in a, in a spot where, um, that, that team, that Oregon state team could be so good and, and, you know, that position quarterback has been a need uh, if it really clicks and all comes together, it could be a special situation, but you know, the the confidence and in, in whether or not he's going to be the key that sort of unlocks Oregon state and makes them a, a you know, PAC 12 title contender. Um, it, it's we haven't really seen a ton of evidence the last couple of years to, to make you expect that, but it's fun to think of, you know, what the possibilities could be. And and similar to Sam Hartman, I mean, could
0: he be the
1: key that gets Notre Dame back to the playoff? We'll see. Xavier,
0: so, I mean, your thoughts on these transfers. There's some some big ones in here. Uh, which absolutely. one is the most yeah. impactful?
2: Sam Hartman. If he decides to go to Notre Dame, it's I think all bets are off at that point. I, I absolutely love that move for him. Um, I think it's, you know, with the way that Notre Dame played, especially down the stretch last year, you're looking at a team that, Beat the brakes off, of you know, a Clemson team at home. You're talking about a team that could compete with USC um, if it wasn't for such. I, I think if it wasn't for, a, a you know, a turnover late in second half, you know, they were able to get after Caleb Williams. He was having to do Houdini acts all game for them to win that ballgame. So I really like what Notre Dame would have with Sam Hartman. You're talking about a guy who took care of the football, um, doesn't get enough credit as a runner. Um, for what he was able to do at Wake Forest. Uh, But obviously an an amazing passer and what an upgrade that would be for them and Marcus Freeman in year two. Um, I also think that when you look at what Colorado has been able to do, it's impressive. uh, You know, right now they're ranking third um, in transfer rankings um, for 247. That's behind behind Florida State and Michigan, Uh, you know, Deion Sanders continues to go into the portal and bring out guys um, and bring guys from his own school, obviously. You know, bringing in Travis Hunter, you know, was a big one, right? You didn't want to lose that kind of talent going to something like the Pac-12. Uh, that was huge. Uh, bringing in Shador as your starting quarterback right away, massive for him is getting a guy that he knows. Obviously, it's a son, so he knows him like the back of his hand. uh was massive as well for them, so I like that too. When we talk about, like, DJ Uyungle like going to Oregon State, I feel very Michael penix about it. And what I mean by that is uh-huh. is it may start off slower than expected, but it might finish with a thunder. You know, I, I feel like, you know, Michael Penix was off of everybody's radar after week two or three this year. Um, and then all of a sudden who, you know, look who, look who was at the end of the year, you know, competing for a Pac-12 championship in Washington, right? And knocked off UCLA. I think when you look at what, you know, Oregon State football schedule looks like next year, you have a guy in D.J. who can come into a system and I think really flourish, especially with how run heavy it is. Uh, they're not going to ask him to throw the ball 30 times a game to win. Um, and I think more importantly, if he's able to throw the football at all, that's, an, that's a huge plus on what they've been able to have at quarterback over the last couple of seasons. Uh, so I love D.J. like going there uh, because they already have a set identity. Uh, he's not having to come in there and change anything up. They're not putting the offense on his shoulders Moreover, they're just saying to themselves that we've got a hell of a player here and we can use that to our advantage come this season. So I like that move for him. Um, I know I wasn't here for this, but I'm going to put this out here. Uh, Devin Leary going to Kentucky. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. 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 Um, I'm not saying he's going to have type Will Levis type hype coming into the preseason Uh, preseason air quotes. Uh, But this is a kid who I think needs to be behind the team or, uh, you know, be a little more of an innovative coach. And I think Mark Stoops is licking his chops to the idea of what he's going to be able to do with Devin Leary behind center next year, um, especially with an offensive line that was rather young this season in the transition year that really didn't have it all together, right? He lost guys like Darian Kennard. And I think an offensive line that all together had played like, I don't know, three and a half seasons together, right? So I think that'll be huge for them coming into this year. Uh, so I love Devin Leary to uh, Kentucky as well.
0: All right. Well, look, we also had the early signing period. Mm -hmm. So Xavier, I mean, just quickly, uh, what, what was going on in the signing period, who got better and who, Kind of surprises, surprises with not getting as much as we expect.
2: Yeah. So obviously Alabama and Georgia go, want to go one and two back to back years. But we had some new people up in the top ten this year. Miami finished fourth, which was huge for them. Uh, bringing in Cormani McLean, who was the number one cornerback in the class this year. Uh, he had a you know a really good you know uh, a, a really good finish to the class for Miami, especially after having the season that they did. For them to still finish with the number four class was really a surprise. Uh, another one that was up there, uh, Oregon finished really well. Uh, f- uh, flipping a couple of kids towards the end there, uh, bringing in, speaking of Uyunglele, bringing in uh, DJ's little brother, Matayo, uh bringing him into Oregon, which was huge. Um, so that was a massive win for them uh, at the quarterback position, uh, losing Dante Moore, but bringing in um, Austin Novosad as a guy you were able to flip at the last minute. Good job. Good job, uh, Dan Lanning and Oregon, um, and some teams that were able to capitalize off of great finishes. Uh, Tennessee finishing ninth, uh, Notre Dame finishing eighth, and LSU finishing seventh. I um, mean, this year's uh, class was also really big. Uh, and Texas, finishing third, obviously the the you know the jewel in the crown in Orange Manning, uh, but you know not you know also bringing in Cedric Baxter, uh, the number one running back in the country out of Edgewater. Was a great pick up for them. Texas continues to recruit at a high level, um, and hopefully they can turn that into wins.
0: Love it. Love it. Uh, Yeah. Like you said, uh, now it's converting time. So uh, we'll see uh, if we can uh, make that happen for my Longhorns. But uh, let's go to the bowl games here. And like I said before, we have got a ton of them. We're going to start out with the Military Bowl, UCF versus Duke. The line is Duke by three and a half. We have it right in line. 62 and a half is the total. Um, 49 is what we have it closer to. I think this line has actually moved uh, a decent amount. Uh, yeah, but it's still 62 and a half. But um, <laughs> what, do, uh, what do we think of the military bowl here, Nick?
1: Well, so you you said that our projection is is right in line. We do have a, a roughly a three and a half projected point spread, but uh, we actually have UCF favored.
0: Oh, you know, what? I totally <laughs> missed it. You're right. It I uh,
1: yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's most of ours do kind of line up. Uh, th- there are a few where we, where we have a, a little bit of a gap, but um, that one is, is a little bit misleading. But, yeah, we actually have UCF favored. And, and uh, y- you know, you mentioned that the, the totals uh, have moved. That will be the case um, if, if you missed our first couple of bowl previews we projected all the totals from the very beginning because our um, prism uh, projections, which we use for those don't change. Uh, all of our other ones are our official projected point spreads. The, the team strength ones, our uh, talent edge. Um, those we do take into account entries, transfers, you know, opt outs, all that good stuff. So um, that's why we've, we've sort of done the batches, Uh, Made updates in those. And and even though UCF is is not at full strength, I mean, they are pretty active in uh, the transfer portal, losing some some guys that they relied on a little bit, especially, uh, you know, I I know some uh, defensive players have have have, uh, entered the transfer portal. Um, They're not 100 percent at quarterback. John Rice Plumlee um, has been limited. He was limited uh, on December 3rd and in, in the AAC championship game. So we actually still don't necessarily expect him to play a full game, to, to be at full strength. Uh, nevertheless, this UCF team has been one that really, really grades out well for us. Uh, very, very talented team. Duke is one of the most improved teams in the country. Uh, offensively. They've got a really, really solid core and, and, you know, have a defensive minded head coach who uh, has got them playing really, really strong, especially against the run. They've come a long way on that side of the ball. Um, I don't have a necessarily a ton of confidence in this one, but it is a pretty big edge. And, you know, our, our projection has the the uh, feels like the wrong team is favored all season long. That's been a little bit of a trouble spot for us. Um so I, I don't have a ton of confidence here, but uh, our projection is pretty clear that, that UCF um, is, you know, the more talented team and, and the better team when we look at our stats only model as well. So it's really no surprise that that our official uh, projection has the Knights uh, winning this, but uh, pretty low. I would have pretty low confidence points on this.
0: Xavier, are you on the UCF side or the Duke side of the military ball?
2: Yeah, give me UCF. Uh, I think that, that right now they are the better team uh, coming into this game. I think, you know, outside of once again, the two-lane game at the like end of the year, they finished pretty strong. Uh, this is a team that underachieved, quote-unquote, for UCF standards, um, going only 9-4, and four, um, and a Duke team that I think surprised everybody in the country. Uh, I think even we brought it up on this podcast maybe a couple of weeks, uh, maybe six or seven weeks into the season. And we were like, uh, hey, Duke at uh, eight and four. Uh, kind of surprising there. But this is a team that has struggled when they have played, uh, you know, high-powered offenses. I mean, they struggled against North Carolina. They haven't been able to really stop anybody, and that's my biggest concern with them um, is when they do win, it's it, typically in shootout fashion. Um, and I'm just not sure that they're going to be able to run with UCF for four quarters uh, if that's what they so choose to do on Saturday. All right, sorry, Saturday. I keep saying Saturday <laughs> because it it's
0: you know typical college football, but yeah, uh, Next Wednesday. Yeah, next Wednesday. Yeah, my <laughs> bad. <laughs> uh yeah, no worries. We are obviously uh used to games happening on Saturdays. It was it was uh Really weird when the NFL was all on Saturday. Yeah, that uh, threw me off Christmas so Eve. bad. Yeah, threw my whole week off, to be honest with you. So um just very strange. This does not feel like uh, Tuesday, but we go over to the Liberty Bowl. Arkansas is the favorite here over Kansas by two and a half points. We have it by a little bit more than that. 68 and a half is a total. We are under that hashtag team under um, Nick. What do we <laughs> think? Unders about only. Yeah. Unders only. Yeah. Hashtag unders only uh, Arkansas versus Kansas. Cause this look, Kansas is a fun team, but Arkansas is an sec team. So uh, I don't see this going favorably for the Jayhawks.
1: Yeah, I mean, Kansas has, has been a, a lot of fun to watch. And one of the great stories uh, in college football, it's interesting how two six-and-six six teams, right, are are uh, sort of the uh, – have kind of uh, an opposite feel because Kansas, it's, it's this huge achievement from where they were to just get to bowl eligibility. Arkansas, you know, it, at certain points the last couple of years, looked like they might have – you know, a top 10 ceiling. Um, so it's a little bit of a disappointment that, that they're six and six. Neither team plays very good defense. Uh, neither team is is really coming in with. And there any... are a
0: lot of opt outs for Arkansas too on that defensive side. There are.
1: There are. Drew Sanders is out. Um, they, they will be without uh, at least one starting offensive lineman, uh, one of their better wide receivers. Um, They've had some transfers, uh, including some guys who've played a lot of football. So um, Arkansas is not full strength, um, but I do think that they are still the more talented team. But if we're, you know, and I try not to get into this too much, but if we are trying to game out, you know, who's motivated, who wants to be there, um, it's probably pretty clear that Kansas might have, you know, might check that box as uh, first bowl in a long time, uh, coming off one of their best seasons in a long time, and Arkansas being a little bit of a, a disappointment. And and let's face it, some SEC teams uh, struggle to um, show up in, in some of these lower ball, uh, you know, lower bowl games, especially one like Arkansas that's had uh, a bit of roster turnover already. That said, you know, KJ Jefferson, I, I really like to watch him play. Um, Raheem Sanders is is you know one of my favorite running backs. Uh, in college football and those two should have an opportunity to put up some points against a uh, Kansas defense that that you know struggles they are 117th in defensive team performance overall 107th against the pass 110th against the run um, but the Kansas offense actually grades out better than than Arkansas's offense so uh, is Jalen Daniels closer to 100 um, percent this Kansas roster is a little bit Closer to 100%. Um, not as many transfers. I'm not sure of any actual opt out, So um, we shall see. Again, not a ton of confidence. Uh, but Arkansas, I do think, is the more talented team. So I don't hate it that we have uh, Arkansas favored to win and cover. Um, but, I, I again,
0: not a ton of confidence in that one either. Xavier, are you on the Arkansas or the Kansas side in this game?
2: I think I'm going to go Kansas here. I think that that's going to be the hungrier team. Uh, you look at a team that, once again, like you said, the narratives are completely different coming into this game. I don't think most people would have expected Kansas to be 6-6 six and six to start the year off versus I think a lot of people would have expected Arkansas to be 8-4 and four minimum. And I think so coming into this game, I look at Kansas, they're going to be the hungrier team. They're going to be the team that's trying to get their first bowl win in I don't know how long. Um, and so I think that they come in with a little bit more, you know, moxie about themselves, where on the Arkansas side, it's really going to be how K.J. Jefferson decides to play. Uh, he has had times this year where he looks unstoppable. He's also had times where he looks completely out of sorts, right? The Texas a game in particular, after the fumble at the goal line, he just wasn't there anymore. Um, and other games where he's actually absolutely looked like, you know, the best quarterback on the field. If we get K.J. Jefferson – if we get good Jefferson, we're – you know, Arkansas can. Play with anybody. We've seen that in the past. If we get bad Jefferson, I think Kansas will win this game by more than two, more than a touchdown. To be perfectly honest with you, uh, but I'm going to go with Kansas for all the things that they talked about. The opt-outs, uh, SEC teams in lower bowls have a tough time playing up. You know, to their opponents, uh, they're always a little bit of the you know uh, we're not supposed to be here kind of guy, which is which sucks to see. But it's also like I I kind of understand it. Uh, you you play all year in the biggest conference in America. Just to end up playing, you know, Kansas in a bowl game. So I kind of understand it to a certain extent. Um, But maybe these guys that you said they're going to be playing uh, in place of the opt outs and in place of the guys going to the draft have more to play for, right? Still SEC players, too. Yeah. You know, it's their opportunity to make a mark and it's their opportunity to, you know, have a, you know, essentially do a process right here, almost like an interview process. Like, hey, here we go. This is what I'm going to look like next year for you, Sam Pittman. Or this is what I'm not going to look like for you here, Sam Pittman. I'm going to have to enter the transfer portal out of this game because you don't want me here anymore. You know, it can can go either direction. So I'm going to go with Kansas here. I think they're going to have a little bit more of a cohesive unit um, on on, on Wednesday. So I'm going to go with the Jayhawks. Matter of fact, Uh, Nick, can you tell me when the last time that they won a a bowl game?
0: I don't know the last time they won. I think the last time they went was 2009, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, I I, uh, I will look that
0: up. Um, Thor was somebody. Yeah, I should I know, know this. Mid-2000s
1: was the last time they even went to a bowl,
0: right? I, I should know this because Thor, who I do a show with uh, for betting pros, is a mm-hmm. Kansas grad. And I know he said it uh, on the show that we did, but it was, oh, it was 08. Okay. So, the inside it's like in, in, in the inside bowl. Inside I don't bowl think bowl that's fair anymore. No, that was yeah. the Cheez-It Bowl, and now it's something else. That's the one at Chase Field nice. was the inside nice. bowl. So, Because uh, Insight.com used to be uh, – fu- it was out of Phoenix. I remember that because I passed their building uh, all the time. Uh, we go to the Holiday Bowl, number 15, Oregon playing North Carolina here. Oregon is a 14-and-a-half point favorite, but we have it by less than seven points, uh, closer to six-and-a-half. And, and a half is the over. Not even close to that, of course. But, uh, Nick, who do you like in – the holiday ball. I mean, that 70 number. We're not getting close. Did we no. get to 70 at all this year? We did, actually. Our,
1: it's, it's weird how uh, in, late in the season, the numbers just shrunk and shrunk and shrunk. And I'm not exactly sure why. I mean, the process wasn't much different throughout the season is, is what we had early in the year and, and mid-year when we were getting some of those uh, higher totals Uh, and there were a a handful in the 70s but but for whatever reason in november uh and and certainly in the bowl games um we we're not coming anywhere close to even the 60s i think our highest projected point spread is is this one at 59.3 and then the next one is like 56 so uh Mm -hmm. it's it's a little weird i don't know exactly why but it's so far, knock on wood, it, it hasn't uh, hurt us. It's actually been quite good. So we'll see. Um, but this this one is weird because um, we do account for injuries. We do account for opt outs best we can. But there is still a piece of our um, projection model that is you know the team performance. That's why I mention it uh, every, every preview and, and every uh, matchup for the most part. And North Carolina, you know, not a not a great team as far as team performance goes. Big part of it is defense. One of the worst defenses in the country. Um, they're 118th overall in defensive team performance. Uh, really, really struggle against the pass. They're 117th in defensive team performance against the pass. Uh, so that is really dragged down their overall rating. They're 64th in team performance. So that's basically, you know, very mediocre. Right. Exact middle of the pack almost. So. North Carolina is going to be without Josh Downs. They're arguably their best offensive player. Um, certainly their best offensive player, not named Drake May. Uh, they have been dealing with injuries on the defensive line all year. Might be without multiple starters up front. Uh, I'm not even sure if they're going to have enough defensive backs to play. I mean, uh, Tony Grimes, the former five-star corner uh, starter there, has transferred to Texas A&M. Um, he actually helped offset a couple of those big losses that Texas A&M had in the, the transfer portal. Uh, but he's gone. Storm Duck is gone. Cameron Kelly is gone. Um, and, you know, there are some others as well. We're probably going to see multiple true freshmen, uh, if not start, play a lot of, of uh, uh, snaps in, you know, the, the bowl game against a very, very good Oregon offense. Uh, Bo Nix is playing. Sounds like he's coming back for next year. That's great. Uh, and, and that Oregon offense is going to be probably at, at full strength. Um, there you know, are a couple of offensive linemen who uh, are lined up to, to head to, to some of those postseason all-star games, but I haven't heard of any opt-outs. Steven Jones has been in and out of the lineup a little bit. Alex Forsyth has been in and out of the lineup a little bit, but I, I do believe that uh, they are you know, probably trending towards healthy enough. And and that Oregon unit is number two in our O-line performance ratings. So you take that offense against a North Carolina defense that's been so bad, and then is going to be without some of its best players uh, up front and on the back end of, of the defense. And it doesn't look good. And, you know, our projection just couldn't get there because we do see North Carolina still as a talented team. We do see them as a uh, at least, you know, mediocre type team. Uh, Oregon is not necessarily elite. They're 11th in our power rankings, they're 24th in overall team performance, have struggled a little bit on defense and, and are going to be without uh, some big time players as well. Noah Sewell, Christian Gonzalez, both those guys are early entries into the NFL draft and won't play. DJ Johnson won't play as well, uh, a, a starting linebacker. So maybe there's some opportunity for North Carolina to, you know, at least uh, keep itself in the game, uh, you know, assuming Antoine green, some of those others, uh, other wide receivers that'll have an opportunity to step up uh, with downs out like Kobe pesour uh, you know, maybe JJ Jones, um, maybe a couple of tight ends. They've got, you know, Kamari Morales and Bryson Nesbitt are both uh, solid options at, at tight ends. So, North Carolina, I think, is going to have an opportunity to score. I just don't know if they're ever going to stop Oregon. So um, hopefully the talent that they've got on hand is enough. Uh, Maybe they can take uh, advantage of that Oregon defense that's struggled a bit and is a little shorthanded. 14 and a half is is a lot of points. Um, So we cross our fingers and and hope North Carolina can keep it within two touchdowns, but um, it would not surprise me at all if if this is one of those where Oregon just – puts up a big, big number, and North Carolina just can't score
0: enough to to keep up. Xavier, what do you think of the Holiday Bowl here? You got uh, Oregon in this one? Yeah, and it's because they have balance. I I
2: think the problem with North Carolina is they just – every time I watch them play, I feel like they're always on go, and they can never slow it down when necessary. Whereas Oregon, I've watched them have the ability to – not only run with the horses, but have been able to slow it down and put together a six, seven, eight play drive as well to to you know to add to what they're doing. Right, um, I also couldn't agree more with what we're talking about with Bo Nicks being back. That's huge for them, and uh, I think that they have been able to show you all season long that with Bo Nicks they can go, um, and when they're able to do so, it definitely um, you know it definitely is a, is a benefit for them on the flip side with Carolina, they just haven't been able to stop anybody. They just don't play defense. They, they're a team that would rather go with the horses and, you know, attempt, you know, and hope that you run out of steam, you know, or you make your own mistakes versus, you know, their football, you know, when you're looking at their defense, actually creating any stops. And I don't think Oregon's going to be a team that beats itself with a senior leading quarterback, you know, at the helm. And that's my biggest thing with Oregon. Is I just feel like they have the pieces that, that, you know, they need to win this game outright. You know, you look at and then you look at North Carolina's last like three games. They lose one to NC State again. They probably should not have lost in overtime. They lost to Georgia Tech. They lost to Clemson. They're coming into this game realistically probably in you know some of the some of the worst form of any team coming into their respective bowl games, losing three straight, uh, two of which to teams that they probably had no business losing to, um, in, in NC State and especially Georgia Tech, right? Um, uh, especially with NC State with a backup quarterback, even though you know it is the second coming of a Finley. It's been Finley, not Ryan Finley. So I, I think that North Carolina loses this game. Give me Oregon. I feel like they're the better team. Not only that, but I think that having Bo Nicks is going to be a huge key um in this game and, and not having Josh Downs for a North Carolina team that has used him so much this year is gonna be a huge detriment to that offense. That's gonna be neat. That's gonna to need to be excellent for them to win this ballgame.
0: Uh we go to the Texas bowl here in his Ole miss. Versus Texas Tech, Ole Miss is a three-and-a-half-point favorite. We're closer to a six-point favorite for the Red. 69-and-a-half is a total. We are under that, closer to 54. Nick, uh, Texas Tech versus Ole Miss. I know Texas Tech has some hope, but I don't have much for them. So I think Ole Miss should smack them.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I think I agree. And, you know, our projection sees a little bit of, of uh, daylight. We have Ole Miss favored by uh, more than six. Um, Texas Tech is actually the, the team that has more of the injuries, more of the opt-outs. And even if they were at full strength, uh, Ole Miss would be the more talented team, you know, the top 25 team on the field. I mean, they're 15th in roster strength, they're 22nd in team performance overall, top 20 offense, great, great rushing offense, top five in the country. Quinchon Judkins has has really emerged as, one of the better running backs in college football, even if Zach Evans doesn't play, which I haven't seen a report that he's opted out. Wouldn't surprise me if he does. Um, but Judkins has you know, basically been uh, their number one guy all year anyway. So um, uh, yeah, I think Ole Miss is, is the better team here. Uh, I, I I think Ole Miss should be favored by more than three and a half, unless there's something that that I've just missed. There's some information out there that I haven't gotten that, that somebody else did.
0: Um, I'm... I'm not sure why Ole Miss isn't favored by closer to a touchdown. Xavier, are you uh, in the same boat with us here where uh looks like this is going to be an Ole Miss boat race here?
2: Yeah, I don't see why not. You know, Ole Miss is a team that you, you look at it, and all the stick that I've given Ole Miss this year, the one thing they have been is rather consistent, right? This is a run-first team. This is a team that wants to put the ball in its running back's hands, uh, you know, ask Jackson Dart to do, you know, some things in the passing game, but it's not asking him to be an elite talent by any means, right? And, and that consistency. it leans on a defense that isn't bad. right? That they have obviously had their games where they weren't great, but they're rather consistent. Uh, you know, they keep the ball in front of them, force you to drive the length of the field. Uh, the only time that they haven't done that was against LSU. They even did that against Alabama um, and Mississippi State, the two losses. So, you know, uh, you know, the only two games that they didn't do that, excuse me, were in LSU and um, Arkansas, where they kind of just let the game get away from them. And that's what I was talking about earlier with KJ Jefferson. They could literally be anybody. Uh, but with Ole Miss, I don't understand why they're not favored more. That was always – that was, like, extremely shocking to me when I saw that number because – you just don't think Texas Tech can compete with them for four quarters? Um, maybe I – I, is there any chance that they're giving like a home field advantage type swings?
0: Uh, I don't think so. Maybe. I don't think that, so. Maybe that's I, part I, I, of I it. Understand,
2: I, I understand that it's – I'm sure Texas there's something
0: built in for travel for sure. Yeah.
2: So, I mean, maybe they're giving in like a quarter of a point or half a point for that. I I just – you know, I don't, I don't really have a full answer as to why – you would look at what Ole Miss has done this year. And I understand that they're not coming in with a ton of confidence, but what they've done this year and go Texas Tech has their number. I just couldn't – I just don't have confidence with
0: that. Let's go over to Thursday, the 29th, where we have the – we start with the pinstripe bowl, Minnesota versus Syracuse. Minnesota is a 9.5-point favorite. We have a closer to Minnesota by 6. 42 and a half is the total. We're pretty close to that, closer than we've been on uh, any of them because the total is so low, but we are lower Then the low total, of course, here. Uh, Nick, this is an interesting game, of course. Uh, I would expect a lot of running, but Sean Tucker did opt out. So this probably needs to be, uh, you know, a Mo Ibrahim show for Minnesota. And uh, I don't know. Sean Tucker is just such an enormous loss for uh, Syracuse. I don't know if that's something they can get over in this game. So this is going to be a nice tight one, don't you think? I think it certainly could be,
1: and you know, being uh, Minnesota right now, being such a run heavy team, uh, do have some thoughts as sort of how they're playing the transfer portal early on here. Um, it's starting to look like maybe they won't be, especially with Ibrahim off to the NFL. Uh, that run heavy uh, next year might actually you know swing the pendulum the the other way a little bit, but that's we're getting ahead of ourselves here and, and, you know, Minnesota right now winning a game by double digits. That seems like kind of a lot. Um, You know, Syracuse, of course, Tucker is, is a big loss. I definitely agree. Uh, I think maybe even more important are some of the losses that Syracuse has had on the defensive side of the ball, especially the secondary You know, if Minnesota is going to be so run heavy, maybe that doesn't hurt them quite as much. But uh, they lost Deuce Chestnut to the transfer portal. Um, You know, they've had a handful of guys in the secondary uh, test the transfer portal. Garrett Williams is declared for the NFL draft. He won't play, Um, and their linebacker core has has been banged up. They've been without Stefan Thompson for a little while. Uh, Michael Jones was out uh, their, their last time out. Um, so if they're not able to get those two back or, or, you know, maybe one is, is able to make it back, but they're still going to be, uh, limited. It's going to be on Garrett Schrader's legs, probably even you know more so than his arm. Uh, Ronda Gadsden's had a huge year this year. Um, but a bowl, right? I mean, we're not necessarily expecting the, the best weather um, would rather be able to lean on Sean Tucker and he's not an option. So um, Minnesota, assuming Ibrahim is, is going to play, I haven't heard otherwise. Um, they are built more to, to lean on him. And I could see an ugly game. I could see Syracuse be able to, to, you know, keep it close. Um, but if Minnesota just sort of grinds them down maybe breaks off a, a late run uh, to go up, you know, by two touchdowns that that would end it for us. So um, I, I, I kind of understand based on how much uh, Syracuse has, has lost personnel wise. Um, and also Syracuse just hasn't been very good down the, the stretch. Um, but Minnesota's not necessarily be uh, built like a team. Um that's going to beat a similarly talented team by double digits. So I don't hate that we're on Syracuse, um, but I certainly could. You know, uh, there there are some scenarios that that Minnesota could uh, end up blowing them out. That that's
0: not going to be a shock if that happens. Javier, your thoughts uh, on this game? Do you do you think this is a you know uh, Minnesota walk? Do you think Syracuse can be in this? What do you think?
2: This feels very like Syracuse Clemson e what I mean by that is I feel like Syracuse could very well be in this game and be winning this game for a large aspect of it. But when Nick, when Nick said grind you down, I just feel like Syracuse is just going to make just enough mistakes in this game for, for Minnesota to win it, right? I just don't see Syracuse being able to go all four quarters without their bell cow. You know, and that's my biggest concern here is Sean Tucker being healthy. Obviously, is such a big deal for them uh, because, you know, when he is healthy, he can go. And we've seen him, you know, be, you know, arguably one of the best running backs in college football for six, seven, eight weeks, right? I was on this podcast every week talking about why are not he's not running the football book, Right. So I just think when you look at them not having him available, it's gonna hurt. And on the flip side, when you look at you know, uh Minnesota, I think Nick's absolutely right. They'll grind them down to, you know, uh to paste if they can, right? They're they're gonna do play their game. And they're going to force a Syracuse team to extend the plays. They're going to force a Syracuse team to stretch the field, which is something they haven't been good at all season long. Um, and I think that that's going to be something that hurts them in this ball game, hurts them in this matchup. Um, and so give me Minnesota here. Uh, I also think that, you know, when you're talking about weather, like Nick alluded to, you're going to need your running game to be there. The pinstripe bowl is one of the coldest looking bowls. I don't know if it's all the blue that that's there, but everybody just looks like they're frigid. Um, so I, you definitely need uh, a running presence. So your quarterback doesn't have to do all the hard lifting. Uh, but a couple of kids from Minnesota probably aren't going to care, care all that much about the cold. Right. Uh, but yeah, give me Minnesota regardless. I think that they're the better team at this point. Uh, and I think that they have, you know, and they're the healthier team, which at bowl season matters a ton.
0: The uh, cheese it bowl is our next one up, which is Florida state number 13 against Oklahoma In this one, and the line is Florida State, by nine and a half, we have Florida State closer to six. 65 and a half is the total on this one. We're closer to uh, 53. Um, Look, Florida State looked good at the end. Oklahoma didn't. It's as simple as that for me, Nick. I I just think that these teams have been heading in opposite directions as of recent, so it's a lot of time to prep for this game. I know Oklahoma is very talented, but I don't know. It's hard to pick against Florida State here.
1: I completely agree. Uh, Florida state is up to seventh in our power rankings. Um, You know, we're not far uh, from all the uh, way too early polls coming out. If Florida state goes in and blasts Oklahoma uh, to get to 10 wins, they've got their quarterback coming back next year, Jordan Travis. Um, Florida state might be your ACC favorite. Might be a preseason top five team, um, so that's that's kind of interesting here. Um, I, you know, Oklahoma certainly has stumbled. Uh, Florida State has been one of the hottest and, and best teams in the back half of the season, so I have very very little confidence that Oklahoma is going to be able to cover. My only hope, I guess, it, it, you know, if we're rooting for it, uh, is that bowl games are weird. And so you know, maybe maybe Florida State just doesn't come out ready to play. Maybe Oklahoma uh, gets a little bit of a, a refresh, restart with with bowl practices. But yeah, this this game for a variety of reasons uh, looks like Florida State is is um, primed to blow out Oklahoma, basically.
0: Xavier, you agree with that?
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I am. But yeah, you know, this 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 reminds me very much. Was it last year? Florida team, second time again. I think blew out Oklahoma. I think it was. This was the year that Nick was talking about the Oklahoma defense, like raving about them. Like I can't remember exactly. Couple of years ago. Okay, this was coming. Yes, and they absolutely obliterated that same Oklahoma team. Right. Um, I just feel like Nick. Unless your second half of what you said happens, this is going to be a route you know, unless it is just a weird bowl game and you just see Florida State capitulate, which I will say Florida State does play down. So I'm not, I wouldn't be too surprised to watch them play down to an Oklahoma team that they're just flat out better than. But they do play down because they definitely played down to Florida um, in that last game of the year, uh, making that game extremely close to that being 42-35 victors. Um, so I will say that. Um, but Florida State's just a more talented the team. They're the better playing team right now. And I don't even think, and remind me, I don't think Dillon Gabriel is playing in this ball game, Is he?
1: I believe so. I haven't, okay. I haven't seen anything. I've, I've, I've heard,
2: well. I've, I heard some things on Oklahoma Twitter today that, you know, that was it time to start the uh, the, the next era of Oklahoma quarterback? So that's all I saw.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I, I mean, I, he was meeting with the media. uh okay. So I, that's usually a pretty good indicator. Cool. Uh, but, I mean, I don't pay I don't see as much attention the to the – Okay. Uh, cool, cool, cool. Uh, to the message boards or, or whatever, and a lot of times I, I certainly miss some of those things. So uh, it's possible, but I I think he's playing. Okay, cool. I just, I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. yeah.
0: All right. What about the biggest bowl game of next Thursday? Of course, uh, the Alamo Bowl. Uh, number twenty, Texas versus number twelve, uh, Washington. Here and in this game, uh, Texas is favored by three and a half. Uh, we've got it by Texas closer to a point, 68 and a half is a total, not close to that one either here. Um, you know, a lot of opt-outs in this game. Texas is losing Bijan, uh, Bijan Robinson, Roshan Johnson, and also Demarvin and overshone, all three big starters uh, for this team. I mean, Roshan not a starter, but a big piece of the, the rushing attack, of course. So, uh, Nick, can the Longhorns overcome that? It is in Texas, so like we mentioned before, probably going to be a pretty Texas heavy crowd although Washington does travel very well um what do you think about this game so uh, Texas as we mentioned before is a team that
1: our uh, rankings have, have been really high on they're still a top 10 team in our power rankings um they've also played like a top 10 team they're actually fifth in overall team performance they're top 20 on offense top 20 on defense um but they're not the same team as you mentioned John Robinson not being there, Roshan Johnson not being there. Um, There is a little bit of a, you know, looking ahead to 2023 for Texas and and the future certainly looks bright, but um, uh, you know, Washington seems to be uh, a little more, uh, you know, closer to full strength. Um, I haven't heard of any opt-outs. I know they've had Uh, some injuries in the secondary and in the back half of the season, but um, otherwise they're, they're pretty healthy. They've they've got some guys headed to the NFL draft and to the all-star games, but unless I missed it um, don't, don't necessarily see any opt-outs and, and, you know, Washington is a team that uh, is really, really excited. One, you know, big, big bounce back year for Washington, Texas, you know, certainly has has improved but uh i think had a little bit you know their sights set a bit higher um than than this spot here so no doubt if we're trying to blame or you know if we're trying to play out the the motivation washington probably has the edge there um and uh you know i i we do have texas favored we, we do um but i i think i am uh, glad that we're on Washington State, or excuse me, my, my apologies, Washington, uh, to cover here because this is a good Washington team, top 10 offense in the country. Uh, and unless we see, uh, and it's certainly possible because he's very, very you know, incredibly talented and has a lot of talent to work with, unless we see Quinn Ewers take a step forward from what we saw sort of in, in the back half of the year. Uh, he and, and Xavier Worthy and, and that passing attack sort of come out um, with a new look uh, and playing at a higher level sort of to, to you know, compensate for uh, the loss of, of talent and production that they'll have in the, the rushing uh, attack. Um, you know, I, I think that this Washington defense, which has been a uh, sore spot you know the pass defense, especially 121st in defensive team performance against the pass. Um, but unless Texas sort of is able to uh, really, um, uh, you know, dominate that area of the game, um, I, I think Washington's going to be able to hang around, and and this might be uh, a last second, excuse me, last second field goal, uh, one way or the other type game.
0: Uh, all right, so we got one wrong answer. So, uh, Xavier, uh, what do you think about the Alamo Bowl? Who's winning?
2: Sorry, I had to laugh at that but
0: That was good. Um, mm-hmm.
2: Washington. I'm oh, sorry. Man. All right. Yeah, next poll.
1: <laughs> See, at least I said Texas was favored. <laughs> I, I, I
2: understand that they're favor- favored, but right now Washington has a role. Uh, this is a team that I genuinely think if you – were to give them uh, stretch the season out two more seasons and have them play the top of the Pac-12, they'd beat both Utah and Oregon. I just think this is a better team right now. Um They are, are rolling. They haven't lost a game since. Let's see, when was this ball game? It was against Arizona State, and it looks like it was in mid yes, uh, October. Yes, that was on October eighth. Was the last time they lost a ball game? Next uh, this line
0: is, a, is December twenty ninth. That's their next. Yeah, line. I,
2: I mean, hey. I, for your sake, I hope so. But <laughs> I, I just think Penix has found it grooving. Uh, you see that the wide receiving core that they've got is is just that good. Um, and you saw it on display in the Washington State and the Oregon game. Right, they just weren't they couldn't be stopped. Um, you know, they got whatever they wanted on the outside and. I think on the flip side, when you look at Texas, they haven't played a competitive matchup since playing TCU. Uh, but realistically, you know they went two and one in their or one and two excuse me in their most competitive matchups um, towards the end of the season, losing to Oklahoma State, losing to TCU, and then beating Kansas State. Um, and beating up on Kansas and, and Baylor towards the end of the year maybe got the mojo back. But I'm more confident in Washington right now than I am Texas. Uh, that Texas defense still doesn't instill confidence in me whatsoever. Uh, and I'm more prepared to see Michael Penix go out there and, and continue to sling the ball around than I am uh, seeing Texas do the, do the same thing. So give me uh, Washington
0: to win this game. two wrong answers. Let's go to the uh, Dukes-Mayo Bowl uh, on Friday, uh, starting uh, Friday off right. Maryland versus NC State. Maryland is a one-and-a-half point favorite. We have a closer to Maryland by three-and-a-half. is the over. We're close, but still about five <laughs> points under that, uh, Nick. But um, this is a good game, uh, number 23, North Carolina State versus uh Maryland. Who do we have winning this game?
1: So our projection is is primarily driven by uh, Maryland having a, a big, big edge at the quarterback position. Uh, Talia Tanga Bailoa has been really, really productive, uh, really highly rated coming out of high school. So he's worked his way up to a maximum 100 individual player rating. Um, that is, uh, you know, a different story than, than uh, the NC State quarterback situation, of course, without uh, Devin Leary for most of the year. MJ Morris was injured and, and missed some time. So Ben Finley is in. And, you know, both Morris and Finley have shown uh, some, some real promise at times, but, you know, they're 70s, uh, mid-70s rated players. So uh, that's a that's a big, big edge. Um, and even though, uh, Maryland is, you know, and, and uh, Tonga Bailo is going to be without, uh, his top three, uh, playmakers at receiver with, uh, Rockin Jarrett, uh, Dante Dimas and Jacob Copeland, all out of this game off to the NFL, um, it's difficult for our projections to, you know, overcome that quarterback edge. So uh, we'll see, you know, will somebody like Jason Jones uh, step out, have a big game. He's certainly had some moments uh, this year. I've seen some glimpses from Octavian Smith Um, and at the tight end, you know, Corey Duchess is, is uh, certainly got some ability. Um, So if Maryland is able to find some playmakers to step up, Um, and they're going against a solid NC state defense, certainly a very, very talented NC state defense, um, that seems to be, you know, full strength. Uh, so assuming that, um, is, uh, is what happens and, and NC state does have, um, the, the vast majority of, of that top 15 defense, uh, at its disposal, it will be difficult for for Maryland and, and Talia Tungavailoa and that shorthanded receiving core. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that uh, I, I trust Talia Tongavailoa a little bit more than I do NC state's you know third string quarterback, if that's what it ends up being. Um, even with NC state having, you know, the, the more talented and, and better defense.
0: Xavier, your thoughts on this game you, and, and what are your thoughts also I'd like to hear on the potential to get a Mayo Gatorade dump here uh, in the Dukes uh, Mayo Bowl?
2: Uh, can I, I, do you have to forfeit if you opt out of it? Like, no, is, no, is that no. that even possible? Like, Apparently both coaches them? have
1: said they're in.
2: Uh, rogues, yeah. Both of them must be also Will Levis masquerading as coaches putting <laughs> Mayo in their coffee. Uh, you know, uh, Disgusting. Uh, but no, uh, give give me Merlin here. I, I love Talia. I think this is a guy who has just not been able to put it together for a full year. But you know, in a one game quote unquote playoff, give me Talia to you know to, to go ahead and beat this NC State team. NC State, you know, has become a little one a lot of one dimensional offensively, right? A lot of Thayer Thomas uh, down the stretch of this year, um, and in some ways it was cool. And, and like I said, Ben Finley, you know, showed it a kind of a, a new way that this offense could be run in their game against North Carolina, but let's not be, you know, Let's not forget that they lost to Louisville and uh, Boston College. Boston College, probably one of the worst FBS teams in the country this year um, in back-to-back games before that uh, because they just could not move the ball offensively, right? They could not, get the, you know, put the ball in the end zone. Uh, you know, and I think that that's going to be a big struggle for them in this game. I just don't think they have the horses to go ahead and run in this game. And Now, get me wrong. If the, 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 you know, the narrative of Ben Finley continues to go, you know, they might have their next quarterback in. I think a lot of NC State fans would be able to put on the same Philly jersey they had two years ago. So I, I think they'd be, you know, happy about that. But I, I don't think that they're able to win this ball game. Um, You know, Talia has, by all the stretch of the imagination, been excellent at Maryland um, as opposed to, you know, just in the big games, right? You know, you look at their losses this year, Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State, Wisconsin and the one real blip was against Purdue but Purdue obviously went to the Big Ten Championship game. So, you know, the, they've been able to compete when they are playing people of their level and their caliber, their caliber, excuse me, and I think that that's going to be in this game. You're you're going to see that once again. That Maryland's able to play with, you know, people who are in and around their level of uh talent.
0: All right, let's go over to the next game. Up Pitt versus UCLA in the Sun Bowl here, number 18 UCLA. The line here is the Bruins by five and a half. We have it closer to six. 57 and a half is the over in this game. We're real close on this. We got it at 55, but just under here. The big question, Nick, is who is playing quarterback for Pitt? Uh, you know, uh, we had Slovis transfer, the backup transfer, Nick Patty, Yarnell is, is sick. So who is playing? For Pitt. I mean, maybe Yarnell makes it back for this game. It just uh I mean, how do you not favor UCLA in this one?
1: Yeah, and, and there's still a little bit of question on whether or not UCLA will be at full strength. Apparently uh Chip Kelly was uh, you know, as expected, a little bit cagey uh when asked, but reporters who were, were there, uh, you know, all reports are that Dorian Thompson Robinson, Zach Charbonnet, those guys are are practicing um so it, it points to they'll they'll probably play Nick Patty was on top of the quarterback depth chart uh that Pitt released this week um sounds like Yarnell might be able to play a little bit but it's probably going to be Patty uh under center to start Israel Abenak. uh Abinaconda is going to be out. He's already declared for the NFL draft and is not going to play in this game. So that, you know, will hurt Pitt a little bit, especially as we talked about, you know, earlier when we were discussing Slovis, they have been so run heavy and um, they've performed, you know, relatively well. The The efficiency numbers aren't spectacular, but um, Abinaconda had a, a huge year. Uh, and with the, the, you know, quarterback situation a little bit up in the air. It, it would have been nice probably to be able to lean on him a little bit, but uh, we'll get to see Rodney Hammond and, and uh, he was expected to share carries early this season before getting hurt. And, and then, you know, having to kind of go in, uh basically, you know, securing that job and, and performing as well as he did. Uh, Pitt is also going to be pretty shorthanded on the defensive line. Um, they will be a, without, Kaleja Kansi, uh, who is injured, they will be without Deslin Alexandra, who has been um, who has opted out for the NFL draft. They also lost uh, a couple of guys to the transfer portal, um, a little bit unexpected. John Morgan, being one of those, probably was going to play a big role. Has been a productive defensive end this year. Has transferred to Arkansas. Won't play in this game. So Pitt, you know, is a top ten defensive line but without two full-time starters and and a couple of uh, other guys who have been major contributors. They're also going to be without Servassier Dennis, and Brandon Hill uh, in the back seven. So Pitt is really, really shorthanded, maybe with the exception of Purdue, uh, the most shorthanded from the end of season to uh, the bowl game. But there is a little bit of question on UCLA. We'll see. We'll, we'll see if they're full strength. We'll see if the guys... Uh, who we know are off to the NFL play a full game if they play at all, um, but as things stack up, I'm I'm not hating that we're on UCLA to, to win and cover uh, with the uh, long list of, of guys that you know Pitt will will be playing without.
0: Uh, Xavier, who do you have in the Sun Bowl here? You like UCLA or you think uh, Pitt can uh, sneak this one out?
2: Got to take UCLA here, and I, I understand. You know some of the opt-outs that are coming in here, but both teams are are rather a shell of themselves. So I guess, uh, actually, now that I say that, I kind of like Pitt. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I I just if I'm gonna have to take a team that's a rather a shell of themselves, coaching wise, I'm gonna take uh, I'm gonna take Pitt every day. I'm gonna take Pitt, you know, a hundred percent out of a hundred times. I don't. Uh, that's no shade to Chip Kelly at all. I just I've loved Pitt's coach for a very long time, and I think that he does an amazing job with the talent that he's able to bring in year in and year out. So give me Pitt to win this game. Um, I understand that UCLA ha- has the better record and obviously has looked a better team at times this year. But down the stretch, they kind of concerned me with the lack of defense that they were able to play. Now, granted, I know that was against USC, right, uh, but also against Arizona. You know, they, they gave up 34 points. Jaden Delora kind of did what he wanted to do on that night. Uh, you know, he was 22 or 28, 315, two touchdowns no real resistance, Um, and that defense down the stretch of the year just kind of you know, let go of the rope, uh, to use a coach speak, right, uh, you know, even in the game against Cal, and every year we talk about Cal having no offense, they gave up 28 points to Cal, four touchdowns to Jack Plummer, like, this is just not a defense that has figured itself out, um, and like I said, you know, really begin to show the cracks in its armor uh, down the stretch of the year, so give me Pitt in this matchup, um, as I think that they're coming in a little bit better, um, you know, I feel like once UCLA lost the opportunity to win the Pac-12, they kind of just said, we're done uh, with the year. That's kind of the attitude I got from around the, the, the team. Uh, once that once that was kind of out of the window, they were like, okay, we're, we're kind of done here. Uh, where I feel like a Pitt team kind of rallied uh, after you know two hard losses to you know Louisville and UNC. We're able to beat Syracuse, beat Virginia, beat the Duke team that we just talked about, and beat the doors off of a Miami team uh, that obviously playing bad, but it's still extremely talented. So, uh, give me Pittsburgh doing this ball game. Uh,
0: going over to the Gator Bowl or the Opt Out Bowl, as I like to call it. Number 19, South Carolina versus number 21, uh, Notre Dame in this game. Uh, Notre Dame is a a two-and-a-half-point favorite. We have it closer to four-and-a-half. 51-and-a-half is a total. We're real close to this one, too, but just slightly under. Uh, Nick, a lot of transfers on both sides, a lot of opt-outs on both sides in this game. So a lot of moving pieces here. It's kind of hard to nail it down. Spencer Rattler finished off the, the year very well. Uh, for South Carolina, much to my chagrin, but um, how do you see this game playing out?
1: Uh,
0: Well, so on the positive
1: side, uh, it looks like Notre Dame is going to get Tyler Buckner back. Um, Sounds like he's expected to start, has been out since... Uh, what, September uh, 17th, right? He, he got hurt in the Marshall game uh, on September 10th and, and hasn't played since. So uh, that is a bonus. Um, certainly, you know, for Buckner getting uh, these bowl practices and, and the ability to, to start. Sounds like he's going to be in a quarterback competition with Sam Hartman pretty soon. So um will be big for him, would we'll be big for Notre Dame. Uh, we do... Uh, you know, have I wouldn't be surprised if Steve Angeli is going to get a little bit of playing time as well. We didn't uh, give Buckner sort of full strength in our projection, if if that makes sense. If you look at our FBS team profiles, you'll notice that that we do have uh, Angeli also kind of listed as a co-starter there. Um, nevertheless, Notre Dame, you know, we have expected to win and, and cover. Um, they will be uh, not at you know full strength. Michael Mayer is not going to play. Uh, Isaiah Foskey is not going to play. Two All American uh, caliber players being out is is certainly a big deal. But I feel like Notre Dame is is closer to full strength and has more depth. Um, South Carolina has had you know some injuries, but more so uh, they've they've had some defections in, in the transfer portal. So um, they, you know, may not be without as many sort of opt-outs, even though Zach Pickens is not going to play on the interior defensive line. Josh Van has had uh, an injury that's going to have him out, but I, I really feel like South Carolina's depth has taken a hit. Uh, plus, they lost some really talented guys. Marshawn Lloyd is in the transfer portal, right? Uh, both of their um, talented tight ends, Shaheen Bell and Austin Stogner, have already transferred out to Florida State and Oklahoma, respectively. Um, they're a little bit, you know, shorthanded in the secondary. Cam Smith is is off to the NFL draft. Darius Rush, uh, Devani Reed has had an injury and, and is also off. Um, so I, I think that even though Notre Dame has got maybe – a couple of the higher profile opt outs, um, getting Buckner back and having just a little bit more depth. I, I kind of like uh, our Notre Dame projection. I, I, you know, South Carolina absolutely could show up and, and you know, Notre Dame is is far from perfect. But um, I, I think I'd rather be
0: uh, on the Irish to, to cover this one. And, and fortunately, we are. Xavier, uh, what do you think? You think South Carolina's got a a chance or you going? I
2: love, I love the way, like, and I said this earlier, I love the way the Notre Dame defense played down the stretch. Now, granted, I know they gave up 38 points to USC, but they had Caleb Williams off of, you know, he wasn't comfortable all night. Um, You know, and I felt like if they had just had a better offensive showing, they would have easily, you know, either won that game or or brought that game into the fourth quarter. Uh, You know, we saw how that game ended, but, I I really like the way Notre Dame has finished the year. This is a team that could have easily, you know, pitched up shop and was like, we're done, right? First-year head coach, you know, could have been like, we don't have it in the tank this year, guys. Um, And instead, they decided to fight. Um, And I love to see that, you know, down the stretch of the year, they only lost one game, that was to USC, right, after beating, you know, a Syracuse team, a Clemson team at home, Navy and Boston College. I I think that both teams are extremely hot coming down the stretch. But if I'm going to have to take either one, I'm going to take the team that I think fought the hardest, uh to finish the year out. And and that's obviously, you know, you you know, you're Notre Dame fighting Irish. Um, you know, no no pun intended, obviously. Uh so yeah, I, I think that when you look at this game, you look at a team in Notre Dame that has a really good opportunity here to, you know, finish the year off in a really good way. Um and for South Carolina, I just think the opt outs are just a little bit too much for me right now. Um uh, on top of that, I'm not gonna say they got lucky at all, but they played some pretty, pretty uh, you know, I won't say teams that gave up on themselves, but what Tennessee will you was...
0: say? Yeah,
1: I don't, I don't, I don't I mean, know. wins over Tennessee and Clemson still pretty impressive.
2: Clemson Clem, 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 Clem was on my fraud list all year, you guys know that, um, and Tennessee is Tennessee, so um, but that, that's neither here nor there I, 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 I'll give credit, I'll give some credit where credit is due, yeah, at the end of the day they did they got the job done, they were, you know, one game that they weren't supposed to, quote unquote, but I'm just, not. I'm like I said, I wasn't 100% sold on what I saw from South Carolina, and what they will be able to do to actually reproduce that, especially with some of the guys that have already left in opt-out fashion, so give me, like I said, give me the fighting hours to win this ballgame
0: All right Uh, We move along to the next game up here Uh, in the why is this one so late in the process bowl? The Arizona Bowl, Wyoming versus Ohio. Ohio is a one and a half point favorite. Uh, We have it closer to Ohio by four. Forty two and a half is the total. We are on the over in this game. The over. I think this is our first over. First over of bowl season? I mean, it's definitely the first over of the day.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think it might be all of bowl season. So Uh,
0: (laughs) a lot going on in this game. I mean, Wyoming is, you know, most of the playmakers are in the transfer portal here. Uh, So I don't know, Nick. uh, Tell tell me about this game. Who's going to win it?
1: I kind of like that we're on Ohio and and Wyoming is always a difficult team to beat. They do play keep away. I understand why this total is so low, but Wyoming is incredibly shorthanded is going to be without its top three running backs. I mean, they're probably going to, you know, rely on somebody that has hardly played uh, this year. And um, Wyoming is 130th in offensive passing team performance, um, they were top 40 running the ball, but, uh, don't have, you know, any of their regular running backs and, and just, I mean, I don't know where, where is the offense going to come from for Wyoming? Uh, Ohio, not a hundred percent, you know, they've been without Curtis Rourke for a little bit. Um, that has, hurt them a bit. I mean, they they were a top 50 offense most of the year. Uh, the passing offense has been really, really strong. They've gotten a lot of production out of uh, Sam Wiglas and, and Jacoby Jones, Shane Bostic, those uh, receivers. That receiving group is deep. Um, Saban Gura at running back has been solid when healthy. He's had a little bit of a, an injury uh, issue over the last month of the year, but was able to come back and, and play in the MAC championship game. So, you know, Ohio is not necessarily clicking on on all cylinders offensively like they were early in the year. They also play at a, you know, really slow pace like Wyoming. Um, They're in the triple digits in in offensive pace. Uh, But, you know, they, they, I do think have a little bit more to offer. And uh, this might be a scenario where, you know, I don't love that we're on the over on this one. I, it's funny how that works out um, because I just don't know that Wyoming's going to get to double digits. Um, and I don't necessarily think that Ohio is going to win this game, you know, 35 to 10 or, or, or you know, 38 uh, to seven, something like that. So um, I kind of like that we're on Ohio. I think they can win this by a field goal. Certainly um, maybe even more depending on how, uh, much Wyoming struggles on offense, um, but uh, I, I this is the one over we're on, and I kind of wish we were on the under.
0: Xavier, uh, your your thoughts on this game? Do you have uh, you have a good feeling about either Ohio or Wyoming?
2: <laughs> no, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, absolutely not. Um, I'm just I'm taken aback a bit the fact that we're even close to the we're over on this one of all the games today. We're over on this one. Nick, can you describe? It's because the total's so low. I I get that, but can you describe? I I understand the total being that low. It's just, it's impressive. Of all the games that we've been under, for this one to be it, 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 it's rather impressive. Uh, But no, I I think in this matchup, I'm going to go with Ohio. I, I think for me, the reason as to why is they finished the year extremely well. Uh, you know, outside of losing to Toledo at the last game of the season, they rattled off I think was seven straight at one point uh, and continued to just you know be the you know one of the better teams in the MAC. Um, on the flip side, uh, when you talk about give me two seconds, when you talk about Wyoming, I think that this is a matchup for them that they kind of gave up towards the end of the year. You know, you lose to Boise State. And I understand that you know for for them they have bigger aspirations, but then you just don't show up versus Fresno and leaves thirty to nothing. You know, just don't show up whatsoever, right? Uh, where you know Jake Hayner didn't even have to do much from a quarterback perspective. You know, um, you know, and, and you know J. Mims runs for over three for three touchdowns. So I'm gonna go with the more confident team right now. You know, I'm always a proponent of going with the team that's playing a little bit better at the end of the year when it comes to the bowl games like this um and i really hope we hit the over for nick's sake because if we don't i think he might not pick a single over for the rest of bowl season and we still got a ton of games left
1: (laughs) i it's we have one more (laughs) we have one more over and it's because there's a record
0: (laughs) record low record low oof yeah well let's go to to the first uh you know regular New Year's six game number six Tennessee versus number seven Clemson here in the Orange Bowl uh, Clemson the five and a half point favorite uh, we have it closer to a two point favorite for Clemson 64 and a half is a total in this one uh 56 uh we're, we're just a little uh over 56 in this game so once again, Back to the under here, Nick. But this is a good game. Obviously, Tennessee down their their star quarterback and Hendon Hooker, and they have some transfers. Same thing with Clemson. Uh, who do you like in this one? So we have Clemson favored, and, and I think that's right. Uh,
1: Tennessee, in addition to Hooker being injured, is going to be without Cedric Tillman, Jalen Hyatt off uh, to the NFL draft. They're going to be without Jeremy Banks, the linebacker. Uh, you know, they've they've had some injuries in the secondary. Uh, for, for a little bit. Um, so I, I certainly, you know, get that Clemson sort of has maybe a little bit of a, a, a extra bounce in its step, making the the quarterback switch to Cade Klubnick. And I think that's what I'm really most interested in. I mean, this, uh, our projection here, Tennessee is, is the, the far more impacted team. By opt-outs, Clemson has one on the defensive line, but they're still going to be in pretty good shape there, and and you know might have made an upgrade at quarterback. Um, I think a lot of people have, have been arguing that for for a while now. Uh, Tennessee, of course, is is you know not going to have their top guy, not going to have uh, his top weapons. Um, but I'm intrigued similarly by. You know Joe Milton. He, he's going to be uh, have a, He'll have an o- another opportunity uh, to be the starter. The the you know last game went really really well. Looked good against Vanderbilt. Tennessee as a whole looked uh, really really good in that game. Did not have a letdown. Um, and we're going to get to see some of these young receivers. You know we're going to get to see uh, Squirrel White as as sort of a, a starter. Because Tennessee not only is going to be without Hyatt and Tillman, but they've had a couple of uh, depth pieces under the transfer portal as well. Um, Ramel Keaton can he step up and and you know be a big time playmaker? Are we going to see uh, some of the other uh, true freshmen get get more involved? Guys like Chaz Nimrod and and um, you know see what the Tennessee running game uh, can do. It's been strong most of the year, top ten in, in team performance, but against a Clemson defense that is. Um, one of the more talented certainly uh, front uh, front sevens in the country, and and you know certainly defensive line though it hasn't necessarily been as dominant as we expected um, is is still a very very good unit. But I, I will have my eye, as I'm sure everybody else will, uh, on these two quarterbacks because Clemson. You know I mentioned Florida State might be your preseason ACC favorite, uh, but Cade Klubnick, you know, if he is able to uh, play like a five-star and and the next great Clemson quarterback, he'll certainly have something to say uh, as to whether or not Clemson is is uh, still the team to beat going into next year. And, and you know, these two teams, Tennessee, probably not going to have, you know, as high expectations as, as uh, sort of what they flirted with uh, for most of this year is like a top-10 team. Um, but if... Joe Milton doesn't really, um, you know, if he plays well enough that it doesn't look like they're going to have a significant downgrade, uh, play within himself, not overshoot receivers as as we've seen him do in the past over and over again, um, then that, uh, you know, his performance and and Tennessee's as a whole could give uh, them some momentum heading into next year when they're going to have uh, a lot of big time guys to replace. So this is a, a definite look ahead game for me. It's certainly a um, you know, prestigious game and and two teams that really did have good seasons uh, even though there were a couple of disappointing moments for Clemson, but um, this, this game is all about the quarterbacks and, and sort of what we can learn as we look
0: ahead to 2023. Uh, Xavier, how much is Clemson going to win by?
2: Yeah, a billion. I don't. I don't understand the, the confidence that Nick has in Joe Milton. We've seen Joe Milton at several levels be complete mid. Um, and for the people that don't know what that means, it's not good. Uh, it's, this is just not. Thank a guy you for that. Appreciate to, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 mid as in middle as in not good as in medium, okay. medium, whatever right. um you. he's just not been good at any stop that he's been at and yeah he shows flashes but that's all joe milton's career has been his flashes um and this isn't me trying to you know crack on the kid at oh, all. this is what he showed us in his time at quarterback on the flip side you've got clay Klebnick, who everybody is you know even before the season started started to don him as the next you know heir apparent to trevor lawrence right um you know being a guy that comes in and you know takes that job and, and you know, takes Clemson's offense to a new height. And you saw in that last game in the AC championship game, he looked so comfortable and he made that offense look better than they had all year. Uh, Much to my chagrin, because I was definitely on the DJ bandwagon all year. Um, Also, did you guys hear quick aside? Did you guys hear about what happened with his parents having to drive to Miami? No, they missed their flight and they're having to drive 20 hours.
0: Oh, there's a lot of flights being canceled. So yeah,
2: makes sense. Well, yeah. Yeah. And so they're having to drive to Miami to watch and play this game, which is dedication that I don't know as a parent I have right now, uh you <laughs> know, I just so but uh yeah, I think Clemson's just an all around better team, you know if K does come to play, they have the better defense already, and I understand the opt outs you know uh with you know the guys that are going to be missing, but they're already still a better defense in my opinion of what Tennessee has been even at their peak this year. Tennessee's defense was still rather uh you know uh you know loose if you will. Uh, so I think that ultimately Clemson is just a better ball club. Um, and I think that we're going to, once again, this is going to add a little bit of extra fire to Dabo's seat, because I think at the end of the day that people are going to say after this win from Clemson, especially if it is a big win, why didn't you play him sooner? And that's going to be the question going into this offseason.
0: season. So, yeah, uh, I like it. Yeah. I mean, and it, it's a fair question. DJ was, uh, rough for a while. So, um, We'll see what happens there, but it should be an interesting game, but let's go over to Saturday. Like I said, we're going to do the playoff games last. so We won't have those games here, but we go to the sugar bowl, which is Alabama versus K state five versus number nine here. The, the uh, spread on this game would be Alabama by six and a half. Uh, We have this closer to Alabama by just over two touchdowns. 54 and a half is the total just under this one at 52, Nick, but, uh, You know, not a big – this is one of those motivating factor games uh, that we don't like to take into account who is motivated to play here and who isn't, but Bama is, of course, used to playing uh, on the big stage in the playoff and all that stuff. They're not in it here. They've been beat in those scenarios under Nick Saban on occasion. So what do we think about uh, the Sugar Bowl, Bama versus K-State?
1: Uh, You know, as far as a individual projected point spread for a game, this is the biggest one of all bowl seasons. So uh, it is uh, on one hand, maybe understandable because Alabama has been one of the top teams in our power rankings all year. Also, they haven't suffered opt outs uh, somewhat unexpectedly. I think that this when this line opened, it was at like three and a half, four and a half. In part because I think there was an expectation that Alabama was going to be maybe even playing like a, a second string uh, in the bowl game because of so many high you know profile players uh, of the maybe nine guys going to the Senior Bowl for Alabama right now, um, maybe they would be without most of those. But so far doesn't doesn't seem that way. Seems like Alabama you know could be pretty close to. 100 uh, percent and k state being a 10-win team being a conference champ um, being a team that is consistently played better than its talent you know than its talent profile they're basically uh, a top 40 roster but play like a top uh, fringe top 10 team uh, in team performance they were 11th this year so I understand why this uh, line uh, you know the odds makers have this as closer Uh, than we do. We've been low on K-State. We've been high on Alabama. Um, But still, you know, unless Alabama just lays an egg, I do think they are clearly the better team and and the more talented team. And so I'm not going to assume that, especially since, you know, there has been this uh, whatever, you know, whatever it is that that's making, uh, Alabama players not uh, announce that they're they're opting out. Um, I'm taking that as a good sign and and you know, maybe they're not two touchdown favorites. maybe maybe that's a little bit inflated. Um, but I think a touchdown plus is is certainly understandable. so i'm 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 glad we're on Alabama, uh, maybe not by quite as much as our projection. Um, but certainly it could be a very, very good game, and k State has been a team that, uh, at times our numbers have doubted uh, you know to to um, our peril, I suppose but um, this this Alabama team, unless there's something that we just can't account for like some very very late opt outs or just not you know uh, just no motivation whatsoever, uh, I don't necessarily uh, hate that that we've got Alabama to win this convincingly
0: would you uh, if k state somehow Ended up winning this game. What do you think would be more likely to blame the opt-outs or the motivating factor?
1: Um, I don't. You know, I think it might just be that that our way of calculating this particular point spread with arguably the most talented team in college football and then arguably the most underrated team in college football. Just just the way that we calculate roster strength. Yeah, um, it's a little bit of a an opposites situation. And I think that that combined is why this number got so big. Um, So I think it, I think it would just be sort of a unique matchup would be, you know, we just, we just couldn't uh, get this, like some, you know, some of these totals or, or, you know, uh, the, the Oklahoma Florida state game um, where we just two teams that on paper look to be similarly talented we're just not going to get to a double digit scenario even though it it seems that certainly Florida State is clearly the better team it, it's sort of a, a situation where you know just on paper Alabama's head and shoulders better than K State even if it doesn't necessarily play like that on the field um, it's just sort of our way of, of calculating it which uh, so far this year has worked more often than not but sometimes there are some unique scenarios that we just you know we just can't quite. Um, crack can't quite get to the number that that the odds makers are able to
0: uh, Xavier, uh what do you think of this game? I mean, obviously, like we mentioned before, motivating factor, opt outs, all that stuff, but right. you know Nick's got Bama big you, i I think I have Bama big too uh what do you what do you think about this one?
2: Yeah, I mean, typically Bama does not show up in these games though that, that is the one thing I will say. they have a really checkered history when it comes to playing against you know, not, not playing the big game, quote unquote. Right. Uh, But I I just don't find that happening in this year's game. I just, I don't know. I feel like there's a different motivation factor for a lot of these guys to go out there and give it their all in their last game. Um, You know, you you heard a lot of, you know, Saban did what he had to do on his broadcast, you know, on his uh, TV uh, spots earlier this week or earlier last week um, during the, you know, and during the championship weeks, we talked about them not being healthy and them not having all their guys and all this other stuff, right? But so, you know, to some degree, that is true. But I just feel like you have a lot of people who, at the end of the day, for this team, have to end this season better than what they started. It, right, Demico Helms. I'm talking to you. Like You're a guy who this year has been much maligned in points. You know, we can go off with the, you know go out with a with a bold victory. Which, regardless of how you flip it, uh, a New York Six win is a New York Six win. I don't care if it's for Bama you know, or, you know, Georgia or, or Kansas State or Kansas. Right? Uh, a New Year's Six win is a big win regardless of who, you know, how you do it and when you do it. Uh, so that would be the only thing that would give me pause. It's just out in this history in big game in games like this, they typically don't show up. They, you know, the Oklahoma game in particular, I remember growing up, same way, Utah didn't show up. Uh, in both games, they got
0: obliterated. Utah, Although, to me, is the most memorable one.
2: Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah
0: I think Utah was still uh in the. Was that was that also
1: like, like 2008, uh,
0: 2008, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> a long, time, a long ago. time. I remember watching it at, <laughs> at at you know a bar in Arizona. But uh I mean, w- w- wasn't uh, wasn't Utah? Were they in the? Mountain West, was it the yeah, Mountain, Mountain West, West yet, or was it the yep. WAC? Yeah, event? that was, wasn't that
1: uh, Kyle Whittingham? Like, he had just gotten yes. the job yep. from Urban Meyer, because Urban Meyer left for Florida. So, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like, oddly enough, it seems like a concerted effort to, to do the, hey, we're not opting out, we're not unmotivated. Sort yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, uh, like it It feels like a
0: I remember Jerry Judy uh, showed up in the ball game. That didn't matter. And uh, posted a, a big game, didn't he? Um, after about after Bama was eliminated before he went in the draft. Mm-hmm. So yep. I think Saban, like, I think after that Utah game and uh, I can't remember the other one you mentioned, Xavier. But after a couple of those games, I feel like Saban has kind of hit this particularly on the head. Uh, when we're out of it, we're still going to show up and play. Like, if i, I think mistaken, that's mistaken, it emphasized. It
2: was, yeah, if I'm not taking the other game against Oklahoma was I mean, that Clint Trickett. I, I don't remember. Uh, I remember. It was
1: it was uh, Knight. Uh, yeah, Trevor Knight. Trevor Knight.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I, I just feel like that's the only way that Kansas State wins this game. Now, don't get me wrong. Kansas State's gonna play hard. They're gonna play their butts off, right? Like they they're, they're gonna compete. They feel like they could be anybody in the country. They you know they, they're gonna play like that, right? And you might get like one or two really good runs from Deuce Vaughn. Bon. But for the, for the majority of that game, I think Alabama is going to do what Alabama does. And that's win and win in dominating fashion. So I think, you know, like I said, give me Alabama to win this ballgame. Um, I'm not going to say they're going to blow them out, but I also wouldn't be surprised if it was a blowout either.
0: Let's go over to the Music City Bowl. Kentucky versus Iowa in this game, uh, the precursor, the last one before we get the playoff games on Saturday. Iowa is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. We have this much closer to a coin flip. 31 and a half is the over. We are way over that at uh, 31.7 in change here, Nick. Uh, I mean, this is, these are two uh, offenses. I mean, Iowa's been bad all year. Kentucky is, everyone's opting out. So this looks like it's going to be a defensive battle for sure. Um, How do you see the Music City Bowl playing out? I don't know man. I mean it's going to be <laughs> going to be low scoring. We know that. Yeah,
1: is a you know, we see some matchups sometimes and and it's sort of like, yeah, you know, first first to 40, uh this is going to be first team to double digits.
0: Right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs>
1: if any of them, I mean, uh, I I think I think I trust Kentucky a little bit more um even without Will Levis, even without Christopher Rodriguez. Uh, Tavion Robinson's been hurt, right? They're going to be without Brandon Bates, uh, their tight end. Um, The offensive line hasn't been good. Um, They've had some injuries in the linebacker core this year. They've got an opt-out in the secondary. Carrington Valentine's off to the NFL and not going to play in this game. Still, (laughs) I think I trust Kentucky a little bit more than I do Iowa. I mean, Iowa's down to its uh, third-string quarterback. Um, they have also had injuries at the offensive skill positions. Uh, their offensive line has been one of the worst in college football uh, this year. Um, defensively, they're great. And it, according to our records, Iowa's only got one opt-out. That's KV on Merriweather. Um, but unless Iowa just, you know, defensively um, dominate so much that they're, you know, getting uh, defensive touchdowns up. and yeah. turnovers and, and things like that, which is certainly possible. I mean, Iowa's done that plenty. Um, I just I don't know. Even though we've got Iowa favored by, you know, a quarter of a point, uh, I'm glad that we're on Kentucky to cover. I feel like this is a game Kentucky can and maybe should win but it's good. This is going to be like 10 to nine and, and somebody uh, some weird play is going to be the only touchdown defense, special team, something. Uh, I don't know. I I just have a feeling this is going to be such an ugly game, Um, but Hey, I'm, I'm definitely on team. can't have enough uh, bowl game. So uh, even if this is going to be a bit of a painful watch, I'm, you know, we're going to we're going to wish we we had this come uh february so
0: sure uh xavier your your thoughts about the music city bowl definitely the ugliest looking bowl on the slate uh but do you have a good lean
2: uh do you mean do i have a good lean that will end in an hour and a half sure yeah like this (laughs) but both these teams will run the air out the ball this game will end in about an hour and a half. You know, It'll look like a- all
0: those games in the uh, the Arctic Blast Zone or whatever from uh, this yeah, like Saturday. You nothing, know. like yeah, No penalties, does. no illegal formations, no right. anything. Let's get the hell out of here because it's negative yeah, just, 30. Yeah. let get out of Dodge.
2: Um, right. Absolutely. But, yeah, I think this game, absolutely, according to Nick, maybe in 10-9. Nick, I'll do you one better. Maybe, you know, 7-6. Or, hey. You know, 11 well, you know, uh, to
1: 9. I should have said you know, 11 to
2: 9. You know you know what I would love to see? You know what I would love to see? A nice little, you know, we haven't had one of these in a while. A nice little kicker battle, right? You know, 12, you know, 12, 9, 15, Xavier, we're talking 12. about
0: <laughs> Iowa like, here. How about yeah, yeah, 4 to 3? I mean? How about two safeties you know and I mean? one field goal from Kentucky? A so nice, uh, nice, little, nice little, you know, a 53-yarder to win it. You know what I'm saying? He hasn't hit a
2: 50-yarder all season. You know, something like that, right? Like, let's, again, like, let's jazz this possible
0: snooze fessed up a little bit that's uh yeah i mean let's be realistic about college kickers too (laughs) i mean uh not many making uh 50 yarders out there for sure (laughs) let's go over to monday january 2nd you know obviously we usually have a ton of bowl games on the first but the first falls on a sunday and college football doesn't want to go up against the nfl of course so we got bowl games on monday the second mississippi state versus illinois in the Realia Quest Bowl, uh, steeped in tradition, of course. Uh, number 22, Mississippi State uh, facing Illinois here. Illinois is a one and a half point favorite. We have Mississippi State uh, over a field goal favorite, more by like four points here. 46 and a half uh, is the total uh, in this game. We are under this, of course. Um, you know, obviously, uh, going to be a lot of tributes to Mike Leach in this game. This is the first uh, game of the day to kick things off on Monday as well. So Nick, how do you see the, uh, reality quest bowl, uh, Illinois versus Mississippi state going here?
1: We've had Mississippi state favored since, uh, the very beginning since this matchup was announced. And that was a little bit of a surprise, um, because our numbers have been you know, pretty high on Illinois all year. They've, they've been to us. Um, but, uh, you know, Mississippi State is the the more talented team on paper. Uh, looks like the team to beat in our projections, and then things have have gotten worse for Illinois from a personnel standpoint with NFL opt-outs. I mean, Devin Witherspoon, All American corner, one of the best players in college football, uh, is not going to play in this game. Sydney Brown. Um, who, you know, another all big 10 caliber uh, safety um, is preparing for the NFL draft. And then we got word uh, earlier uh, this week or, or late last that Chase Brown, his brother, um, has also officially opted out. So Illinois is going to be, um, you know, maybe Josh McRae is able to get back. He's He's been less than a hundred percent missed a lot of time this year. Um, we'd love to see him back. If not, Reggie love the third, uh, perhaps, but, um, Illinois is just the more shorthanded team from a personnel standpoint, but this game, you know, more than any other is got the potential to be impacted by, um, off the field stuff. And, and what is this, how, what has this Mississippi state team gone through losing their head coach, um, in the way that they did, how are they going to react? How are they going to, you know, prepare? Um, in addition to all the other stuff that that has gone on, injuries and uh, transfer portal. Mississippi State's been relatively healthy. Um, we actually don't have anybody listed as as being. Uh, hurt right now but just you know over the course of any season guys get um uh, nicks and bruises and and all that good stuff but they have had uh their fair share of of transfers out but just the 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 impact of of losing uh your head coach the, the death of a head coach is um you know somewhat unprecedented in this generation it's been Decades since since we've had a sitting head coach, um, uh, you know, pass during during a season. So you don't necessarily know how a team's going to react to that. Some it might be a, you know, hey, let's go out and, and win this uh, for, you know, Mike Leach, and and some it might just be understandably uh, just too many distractions and, and emotions and, and things like that to go out and play well. So uh, this one, I think, more than any other game is is really, really difficult to try to get a grasp on um, how these teams will come out and play. Uh, but from a number standpoint, um, our projections I think Mississippi State is, is the
0: more talented team, the better team, and, and
1: should be favored.
0: Xavier, what do you think about this game? Obviously, (laughs) emotions are going to be running very high in this one. Uh, Mississippi State seems like they got a lot to play for. Illinois may have some big opt-outs here. You know, this one feels very Mississippi State. Um, You know, obviously, off-field stuff is swaying that huge for me and most people, and I think most of the the country will be rooting for Mississippi State too. Right. But that stuff matters. You know, these guys are going to come to play for their their coach, I feel like. So uh, how do you see this game playing out?
2: I do, too. I feel like they're going to come out and play really hard for, you know, the university, their coach, and more importantly, themselves. Right. Like at the end of the day, for a lot of players, you know, and they'll tell you this football is an escape from all of this stuff. And once you cross the white lines, you don't have to think about it anymore. Right. Like they'll do the tribute at the beginning of the game. Uh, they'll probably do some of a tribute in the locker room to themselves as well. Um, you know, and the coaches more than likely, you know, there'll be a culture too that's like, you know, what Mike would have done in this situation would have been X, right? You know, but more importantly, this is just an opportunity to get away from all of it. For the last month or last two or three weeks, these guys have had to hear about every story, you know, every, you know, somber story, every good story, you know, tears of joy, tears of, you know, happiness, the whole nine. At some point, you just want to play football. You know, you've got a game, you've got a game to play. You've got an opportunity to go out there and represent your university, represent him in, in, in a way that he would want you to. And that's going to win a ballgame. And, and a lot of times, you know, people forget about that aspect of it. When you're thinking about that, right, is, hey, these, these, these are kids at the end of the day who, you know, for a lot of them, football is their escape. It's an opportunity for them to be, you know, it's their catharsis and an opportunity for them to get away from it all. Um, so, yeah, give me Mississippi State to win this game. You know, obviously, Illinois has a lot of opt outs, I probably would have picked Mississippi State, anyways, with the emotions that are being tied to this game, because they're going to go out there and play their absolute butts off. Uh, they're going to leave it all, all out on the field, because, you know, once again, for a lot of these kids, after this, they're going to have to go back to, and I'm not saying going back to hearing, hearing it again, but. You know, they're definitely gonna have you're not gonna be able to get away from it, you know, after this game, yeah. uh necessarily, right? Like it's back mm-hmm. to the same old, same old, you know, hearing about your coach, answering some of the questions from family members, answering some of the things that are going on and things like that. So I'm gonna take it Mississippi State to win this game and win this game pretty handily.
0: Let's go over to the cotton bowl, number 10 USC versus number sixteen Tulane. Uh, the uh spread in this game is USC by a point and a half. We have this more like a uh, USC by a field goal. 61 and a half is the over. We're under that by about six points, but um, there could be, this is one of the tough games to pick even, you know, less than a week out here, Nick, because I mean, there is so much going on here for USC. Caleb Williams may not play. Jordan Addison isn't going to play. Uh, and if Caleb Williams sits, obviously, this line is going to shift. It's probably why it's down to one and a half right now. Uh, but this is another one of those games where, uh, you know, a strong power five team meets one of the best G5 teams in the country. And the G5 team, we know Tulane's going to come to play. This is, uh, they have a lot on the line here, USC, not so much. So, this is one of those weird motivating factors plus if a lot of usc misses they're gonna miss two offensive linemen i believe as well in this game so there's just a lot of missing pieces for usc but i mean it's usc you know they they have four star backups to back up four and five star starters so uh next man up mentality for usc for sure so uh how do you see this game playing out
1: well, first of all, if, if we knew for sure Caleb Williams was going to be out of this game, uh, we would have USC favored by a little more than one point, less than okay. the one and a half. Um, so still, they're, they are the more talented team. I mean, I, I certainly agree with, with what you said there. Even without Addison, even without um, Voorhees and Nealon, the guys that they uh, are missing on the offensive line, two of the best offensive lineman in college football this year, um, a unit that kind of struggled a little bit as a whole 91st in no line performance, but those two um, consistently graded out, you know, uh, among the best uh, in the PAC 12 and, and, you know, got some all American recognition as well, but um, those are big losses. Addison is not officially off to the NFL draft though. That seems uh, likely it's officially he's going to be out with an ankle injury. Um, and then Williams, you know, we, we saw him in the PAC 12 championship game, how limited he was, uh, initially when, you know, our first set of projections, I had him listed as doubtful. Um, it sounded like in some of the reporting, uh, over the last couple of weeks that he wants to play is practicing is trending toward being healthy enough. Um, I'm still a little skeptical. We haven't, you know, slashed with, with, uh, Miller Moss being listed as a co-starter. And, and, uh, so, you know, this, this is one that we've discussed a time or two really just depends on the quarterback. If Williams is out, we'd be on Tulane to cover. Uh, if Williams is playing, um, we're on USC pretty comfortably, you know, if we knew he was at full strength, um, then this would be closer to a touchdown, uh, in USC's favor. Motivation certainly is going to be a factor, um, but, uh, this, this is a game that, that USC, uh, has a big, big talent advantage. I mean, the, the, you know, the talent edge on paper might actually not be, uh, it, it doesn't quite get up to a, a touchdowns more than the field goal, but I feel like we might even be underselling it just a little bit. Um, but Tulane's been a very, very good team. One of the most improved teams in college football this year, they've got their own really solid quarterback, Michael Pratt. Um, they've got a running back headed to the NFL, uh, who I believe is playing in the game, Ty J. Spears. Um, and they've got, you know, a, a really, really solid back seven, um, defensively. I mean, Dorian Williams, Nick Anderson, one of the best linebacker duos, in the country, uh, they've had a productive defensive line, even though it hasn't graded out super well. Um, so this is, you know, motivation-wise, this is a game Tulane absolutely could win, uh, even if USC shows up. You know, th- this is a game that Tulane can can really um, give them a good game, uh, but USC with Caleb Williams and you know motivated, even if short-handed. Um, is the more talented team and and would be rightly favored, I think. Um, but we'll see. We'll see if if uh, Williams is able to play, and we'll see if USC is uh, motivated enough after coming up short uh, in their playoff run.
0: Uh, Xavier, how do you see the Cotton Bowl playing out? Do you got USC or Tulane in this one?
2: I mean, USC better win this game. Right, like this is no <laughs> opportunity for down against a, against a G five program. Don't get me wrong. Like I said, I've had I have Tulane in, in, in the in the family genes, you know. But Tulane is outmatched regardless of whether or not Caleb Williams plays. I'm also not too fond of him playing this game. Like I know I, I know people aren't too fond of opt outs, but this guy just looked like he was playing with one wheel last time we saw him. Um, and for him to play this game is kind of kind of wild. Yeah, Even I think like, if
0: he's iffy at all, they just won't play him.
2: Yeah, yeah, like there's no reason to possibly mess up next season or spring ball or your you know or your career for that matter to try and play a game against Tulane. No offense to Tulane, again, just saying. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think that USC is far too talented to lose this ball game. But hey, we've seen crazier things happen, and that's why I th- I love the Cotton Bowl. You know, we've seen. Teams like USC beat Auburn, I'm sorry, UCF beat Auburn, you know, obviously dating all the way back, you know, we saw Boise State beat Oklahoma, right, you know, just going all the way back, right. So, like, this is what these, this game is made for, you know. Um, a couple of years ago, even though they didn't win this game, Memphis gave Penn State a hell of a ball game, right. Like, this I, I want to see Tulane give USC, Caleb Williams or not, just, just a good game, right, you know, and once again put on for the G5, you know, so later down the line, when people are thinking about g5 teams in a in a larger concept uh, like what we saw from um Cincinnati right the year before they went to the bowl uh, went to the college football playoff they you know gave Georgia a run for their money and their respective bowl games. so like that's that's what these bowl games can ultimately do for you they ultimately can put you in a place that next year in the preseason they put you somewhere where if you go undefeated you can end up in a national championship berth or you can end up in a college football playoff berth so yeah uh, I want to see a competitive game. I think USC is just downright the better team, but you know, Tulane give me, you know, two and a half, three quarters of great action and I walk away happy with that one. Yeah,
0: it will be it it will be a fun game if we do get uh that. Uh, right. the Citrus Bowl is up next. Number 17 LSU uh, versus Purdue in the Citrus Bowl. The line is the Tigers by 14 and a half. We have them closer to just the 14, a little under that. Uh, 58.5 and a half is the total. We are well under that uh, at 45. Uh, lots of questions going into this game, too, Nick. I mean, uh, Jaden Daniels uh, is hurt. There's a lot of guys that have opted out uh, BJ Ujolari, Ollie Gay uh, being two of the big ones, Sheree Jenkins. Um, and then on the Purdue side, Aiden O'Connell has opted out. There's a lot of guys in the transfer portal, Payne Durham opted out as well. So there's a lot of missing pieces in this game. Once again, a game that is not in the playoffs. So uh, a little less on the line, but how do you see the citrus bowl playing out Nick?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, Purdue, I, I, I think that Purdue has seen the uh, biggest drop in roster strength in uh, the bowl season. Um, you know, Charlie Jones is also out. Also, they lost their head coach, Jeff Brahms, off to Louisville. Um, They've got injuries on the offensive line. They've dealt with injuries in the receiving core all year, the linebacker core, the secondary. Um, They were hit really hard by the transfer portal on the defensive line. They they are going to have at least one of those guys. Branson Dean is, is uh, going into the transfer portal but said he's going to play. I'm not 100% sure. Um, with Lawrence Johnson or Jack Sullivan, they announced after Dean. So maybe they'll play, maybe not. I, I wouldn't necessarily expect it. But um, this is a case where, you know, uh, Purdue, one, Jeff Brom, his head coach rating was 21st, right? And we don't make... Uh, major adjustments for coaching moves in bowl games, because you never know how a team's going to react. Their overall team performance is 46th. So, you know, good, but not uh, spectacular by any means, but just roster strength wise. I mean, they, they have dropped like a rock. They're 99th in overall roster strength, 110th on the offensive side of the ball. They were top 40 in offense with O'Connell, with Jones, with Durham, uh, and they are now 110th, one of the weakest rosters of, of any bowl team on the offensive side of the ball. Defensively, they're 82nd, so it's not like they're that much better. Um, but that head coaching rating, that team performance rating, the way we calculate things, even though we do make adjustments for all these opt-outs and, and transfers, we just couldn't quite – reach that fourteen and a half. And and this this makes me think it's kind of the opposite of LSU's bowl game last year, right? When they had so many people opt out and they just got blown out by Kansas State. Um this seems to me like LSU um just just probably can and should win this by twenty one plus. Um our projection just couldn't quite get there. Um but uh, this this seems and, and you know if we knew Jaden Daniels was was 100% healthy uh, because he was limited in in the SEC championship game didn't look very good um, if if we knew he was 100% healthy then yeah we we might have been able to get there so maybe I should have um, kind of gamed it a little bit so that so that we could be on LSU here but uh 14 and a half is is a lot and in a bowl game, weird things happen. So I don't necessarily hate it that we're on Purdue, but but I, I think we're probably on the wrong side. I think LSU is going to win this one uh,
0: pretty easily. Yeah, they should. You're, you're on the LSU side too. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah, I, I just think that this is a team that I know struggled mightily down the stretch. Right? You have your lost a And You have your blowout loss to Georgia. But this was still a good team. You know, this is still a team that figured itself out in a lot of ways this year. Um, and I think ultimately you know, it's going to find itself in this ballgame, right? Jaden Daniels has not lost all of his touch. I know he's maybe not 100% healthy, but even the 85% Jaden Daniels, I think it's a pretty good bet to be able to beat a Purdue team that, you know, I won't say tripped and fell and found its way into the the Big Ten Championship game, but I don't think anybody had them there to begin the season outside of Purdue themselves. So, um, you know, I, I think LSU is just by far and away the better team. Um and I think Brian Kelly will have their guys come to play. I don't think they should get SEC letdown in this one, uh, because they've already had back to back letdowns. Uh so I think he gets them ready and gets them locked in for this matchup against Purdue, who, like I said, and uh, to, to their credit, fought extremely hard in, in, in their game. So uh in, in their uh championship game. So but uh give me LSU in this one.
0: Well, let's go over to the Rose Bowl number 11, Penn State against number eight. Utah in this one. The line is Utah by two and a half. Uh, we've got Penn State by a little more than four, Nick. 51 and a half is a total. We're just slightly under this, uh, a little bit over 50. But um, this is probably the best non-playoff game of bowl season, in my opinion, Utah versus Penn State. How do you see it going? We've got Penn State favored by more than a field goal. Um, Penn State's
1: fifth in our power rankings right now. Um, part of that is they haven't been hit super hard by opt-outs. They will be without Parker Washington. Um, they do have some injuries on the offensive line. Um, they'll be without Joey Parter as well, but, but he's been, uh, away for, for a couple of games already. Um, I mean, Penn state is, is just a really, really good team and you know, yeah, Utah is a uh, PAC 12 champs. Uh, they beat USC twice. Um, but they are a little more on the, the shorthanded side. Uh, Dalton Kincaid's not going to play in this game. Uh, the, the really talented tight end. Um, of course they've been without Brant Keithy, the all-American caliber tight end for, uh, most of the year. Travion Thomas has been out for a while. Van Fillinger has been out for a little bit. Clark Phillips has opted out and is off to the NFL draft. So, you know, Utah is very, very good. Uh, Utah has a, a top five head coach in Kyle Whittingham, um, they're you know top 30 in roster strength but have played like a top 20 team on the field including a top 15 offense and team performance but somewhat similar to Florida State Penn State has just been really kind of sneaky good um they are top 10 in roster strength they are also uh top 10 in head coach rating um i mean you know Franklin is is Uh, not always uh, high on everybody's list, but he's been relatively consistent. This has been a good year. I mean, they're sixth in overall team performance rating. They're top 10 in defensive team performance rating. Um, And so we'll see those talented freshman running backs, Nick Singleton, Keetron Allen. Uh, We'll see Sean Clifford's uh, swan song and, and, you know, maybe get a little bit of Drew Alar as well. Sort of a a glimpse of the future. Um, but this Penn State team is, uh, uh, you know, at least the way our, our projections currently sit and our power rankings, um, one of the best teams in college football and, and seem to be flying under the radar a little bit. And I know that most people uh, would say that they trust Utah more than they trust Penn State. Um, but our projections, I mean, man, they, they really line up on, on Penn State in, in this particular matchup.
0: Yeah, Xavier, I mean, opt-outs on both sides, obviously. It's not a playoff game, but uh, two strong teams here. Who do you have? Yeah, give me Penn State.
2: Uh, and Nick it took my reasoning as to why. Um, Sean Clifford's not going to go out with a loss. I, I just can't see him finishing out his career. You know, a guy much maligned in his career at, at Penn State. You know, a guy that nobody at Penn State ever gave enough credit for the things he did do, but got a lot of stick for the things that he didn't do. And so, yeah, give, give me, give, give me, um, Penn State to win this ball game because I just, like I said, I just think that Sean Clifford's gonna will this team to a win. Um, you know, as as much as I love Utah and I picked them to win the Pac-12, and I, I you know, obviously they, they didn't let me down. Uh, but I just think that ultimately this is a team that you know Penn State has just. I don't know if, if falling by the wayside" is the right word, but they didn't get the credit that they deserved for this for this season. They just didn't like you know they didn't play extremely well, but they also weren't a bad team, right? Um, so yeah, g- g- give me Penn State here to win this ball game, and I think what you're I think right might be the best non-playoff game of the of the bowl season to be perfectly honest with you.
0: All right, let's go to the playoff games here. Uh, the first one up on Saturday. It's going to be number two Michigan against number three TCU in the Fiesta Bowl. The line on this game is Michigan by seven and a half. We're a little bit under that, closer to Michigan by five and a half. 58 and a half is the total. We are at 53 in this game. Um, Nick, TCU coming in at full strength, it looks like. Uh, not a whole lot missing for them on the Michigan side. Uh, Mark Morris, the Ed um, is a little tweaked we we don't really know his status uh blake Corum obviously out for the year was a big loss for michigan but they still ended up beating ohio state and making it to the playoff so um this is going to be a fun one i think most people are on michigan here are you going to join them in being on the wolverines so it uh, on on your point
1: on Mike Morris, uh there was some video, uh, I believe today, Tuesday, that that showed that he was, you know, first in the line for uh defensive uh you know line drills. Um, looked like he was moving around. So seems like everything is is at least trending in the right direction there. Um we we saved these for last and and did our, a sort of a sped up version to this point, even though we're into our second you know third hour now. <laughs> uh, but I don't I don't necessarily have a ton to add that that folks probably aren't going to get elsewhere on on these playoff games. I mean, Michigan has been incredibly incredibly good. I think I might actually be the most impressed, like my my eyes visually uh, with Michigan of these four playoff teams. Um, they are number two in our overall team performance ratings. They have a top 10, uh, roster that's even accounting for quorum being out, but Donovan Edwards is very, very good, uh, and looks, looks healthy and, you know, JJ McCarthy playing well. Um, they've got some talent at receiver, um, Cornelius Johnson, Ronnie Bell, you know, they've, they've had some moments this year, tight ends, uh, Luke Schoonmaker is, is coming on, uh, the next, you know, star tight end Colston Loveland uh, got banged up in, in the uh, Big Ten championship game. But, um, you know, I, I feel like he's going to step in and, and uh, be a factor potentially. The offensive line, very, very solid across the board. And they're 11th in a uh, line team performance. Uh, with Mike Morris fully healthy, the defensive line is, is uh, going to be a, a major strength. Their a top 20 unit in D line uh, performance. Um, there's just really no weak spot, and you know, defensively, um, they are, are, are number five in overall defensive team performance. But in the individual categories, I mean, it, it's just very, very solid. Number one in points per drive. Number two in yards per pass attempt. Number two in yards per play. Uh, number four in, in uh, PPA, predicted points added per play. Uh, number seven in success rate. And those are we've we've not made any adjustments after, uh, regular season games. Uh, but th- those are the numbers at the end of the regular season games did that on purpose, That that wasn't just laziness, but, um, you know, just a very, very solid team, uh, top to bottom. And, and one that has impressed me, um, just as I'm, you know, sitting there watching TCU is, a team that, has just sort of hung around, find a way to win, uh, that undefeated regular season, um, had some very, very close calls. Um, I completely agree that, yeah, they're, they're finally, uh, back to, to pretty close to full strength health wise, Max Duggan. I mean, he was the runner up, right. For the Heisman. Um, so one of the best players in college football this year, uh, Quentin Johnston, maybe a first-round NFL draft pick. Kendra Miller looks like an NFL back, uh, but they just don't quite seem as deep. They just don't quite seem as dominant. Um, you know, statistically speaking, there there's no elite, uh, you know, category. I mean, they're they're very solid overall. Eleventh in net yards per play, eleventh in net points per drive, tenth in net yards per pass attempt. Um, that's that's great, uh, but it's not, you know, national championship level. Michigan is playing like a national championship type team. Um, so TCU has had an, a, a wonderful season. Um, they've been really really fun to watch, um, and we actually do have TCU expected to cover the seven and a half. But I think Michigan is, you know, this this draw sets up pretty well for Michigan to to maybe um, win itself a national championship, and 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 I think that uh, this is a game that they should win, and it might be close, and and they might have to win it at the very end. Uh, but I could also see this maybe being kind of the the opposite of Michigan's lost to Georgia in the semifinal last year where um, they got a little bit blown out, you know, at at the end of the day. Uh, I I could see that potentially happening. I I think Michigan is just uh, maybe a a, a tier above TCU uh, coming into this game.
0: Xavier, I mean, we are known Harbaugh haters here. So, but uh, as Nick just said, you know, this this one seems like a little bit of a mismatch. Are you gonna pick TCU to win this game, or you kind of have to go with Michigan here?
2: My gut tells me you have to go with Michigan here, just because Michigan has been just a better team all year, right? Yeah. In my opinion, more impressive. Uh, you know, they've had more impressive wins, more dominant wins. You know, even though you look at TCU's wins this year, they could easily be a nine and three, eight and four ball club. Right. Uh, they were obviously the one team that, that made it through my fraud watch. Uh, so kudos to, to TCU for making it uh, through my <laughs> fraud watch here. Uh, you know, they, they somehow figured out a way to get out of it. Um, so kudos to them on that. Right. Uh, but what I will say is that I feel like this matchup, though, is very winnable for TCU. And the reason why I say that is because Michigan, outside of the Ohio State game, um or not outside of the Hostel game, but they have they have a propensity to play down to their opponents. They just do. Uh they're they're not extremely gifted to the point where if they start off slow, they have too much talent to, for TCU to overcome. Whereas I believe this team has very you know, susceptible in in the game. I remember in particular that, you know, reminded me of this was the matchup versus Maryland, where they kind of just let them hang around. They kind of just continue to let them hang, let them see what they could find. You know, Maryland, you know, had opportunity uh, there at the end to really have, you know, put together a drive. But I think that when you look at this team for TCU, they just have to hang around. Right, they just have to make sure that Michigan begins to lose confidence and feel shaky, because even though Michigan has "quote unquote" been there, they haven't won there. That's the big thing for me in this game. Uh, so Michigan can say all oh, they want to, like, "Oh yeah, we've been there, done that, whatever," right? But they haven't won, you know. And so the semifinal game for them is still a sticking point, and Jim Har- and Harbaugh has to get over that hump. And TCU could very well come into this game, and you know they're ha- they're playing with house money. They are playing with house money. They, they are playing with house money. They're probably the, the one number three seed playing with house money more so than any number three maybe ever in the playoffs, to be perfectly honest with you, because nobody expected them to be there. Nobody expected them to compete at this level. Nobody expected them to compete with Michigan. So if, there's, if this is like a 14-10 to 10 game going into halftime, Michigan is going to be the one sweating. Not TCU. Uh, so that's what TCU has to hang their hat on. that They can literally go balls to the wall. Max Duggan can try off another 75-yard run if he has to, right, to, to, to really win this game for this ball club. Where Michigan, the pressure's on you, right? You beat Ohio State two years in a row. Congratulations. Now the next thing to do is get to a national championship, right? The, the, the needle in the, the goalpost just continues to move for Harbaugh. Um, And so that's the only thing I could see maybe getting in Michigan's way is themselves and the pressure that they may have to put on themselves in this ballgame versus the TCU team that I think is just going to go out there and play football and and see where the dust settles at the end of the ballgame. But I think Michigan just has enough talent, and more importantly, Michigan has has for another year been able to manufacture a consistent pass rush. Uh, And if they're able to do that against Max Duggan, uh, they're gonna really put them in a hard in a position where it's gonna be tough. Uh, I think this game is, unfortunately for a lot of fans gonna be very similar to Texas versus TCU. Uh, where this was kind of a just a slug fest, uh, where you know, I, I think neither team explodes in this matchup. Uh, I think that'll be the fireworks will be for the, another game uh, that we'll get to. but yeah, give me uh, give me Michigan to win this ball game, but I would not be surprised if this game was 21-24 going into the fourth quarter, be honest
0: with you. Oh, man, I hope you're right. That may, that'd make it a lot of fun. Uh, so yep. we'll see. Uh, we go to the Peach Bowl, the other half on Saturday, the late half of the playoff. Uh, Ohio State, uh, number four versus number one, Georgia. Six-and-a-half point favorites are the Bulldogs here. We have it closer to two-and-a-half in Georgia's favor. 61-and-a-half is the total. Uh, we are just over 52 in this game, Nick. Uh, on the Ohio State side, obviously big question marks with Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams uh, in this game. On the Georgia side, uh, wide receiver Ladd McConkey. Uh, left the SEC title game with an injury, a knee injury, it looked like. Um, and then uh, there are other pieces. Nolan Smith has been out for a while. Uh, I don't think he's coming. You know, he's out for the year. Uh, Dan Jackson is, is a possibility to come back, but he's presumed out for the year. So a couple injuries on both sides here. But um, you know, Ohio State, we, we were waiting for the slip up. They kind of looked shaky. Then Michigan just tore them apart, and. Georgia looks like the best team in the country. They look more beatable than they did last year, but I think they look more dominant against their competition this year. I don't know if that makes any sense, but um, uh, Georgia is a big favorite in this game. Uh, it's hard for me to see them not winning this one. How do you see this game playing out?
1: Well, I certainly understand why they're favored. And, you know, Georgia's our number one team in, in our power rankings. Uh, that is relatively new. I mean, we've talked plenty during the regular season that Ohio state, you know, they were our preseason. Number one, um, we've, we've had a uh, little bit of a, a rotation uh, throughout the year where sometimes it was Alabama. Sometimes it was Georgia. Georgia has certainly taken over now. Uh, and part of that are the injuries that you mentioned. Trayvon Henderson being out for this game. Mayan Williams, uh, you know, has been less than a hundred percent and also, you know, today there was a, a meeting with media, and uh, Chip Traynham uh, went in place of Mayan Williams because he was uh, reportedly under the weather. So we'll see. You know, it, 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 everybody says Williams is going to be back and and close to one hundred percent. He's been practicing well and and all that, um, but they've been really, really uh, you know the 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 depth at the running back position. Uh, has been an issue for Ohio State, uh, especially late in the year, and it's going to continue to be. I mean, Trainum spent almost all year playing linebacker uh, after transferring from Arizona State, where of course he was a you know ballyhooed uh, running back recruit and showed some real promise as a you know freshman. Um, but this uh, Ohio State team is, has has uh, not necessarily been operating on all cylinders in, in the running game and they are 16th in our offensive team performance, uh, as far as rushing goes, which is, is solid, but, um, you know, the passing attack is, has certainly been the, the big thing and, and they're number one in that, uh, team performance category, even without Jackson Smith and Jigba who've, who uh, you know, they've, they've been playing without a lot. Uh, but of course, Marvin Harrison, Jr., all American, one of the best receivers in college football. Amika uh has stepped up all big 10 caliber guy. They've even gotten some production at tight end and Cade Stover, excuse me, Cade Stover, um, which that's something that Ohio state hasn't gotten a ton of in, in recent years, even when they've been so good. So they've, they've found a way to, uh, you know, compensate, Um, they've also made some strides on the defensive side of the ball. The last couple of years, they've been outside the top 25 in defensive team performance this year. They're up to number 12, um, against the run. They are top 15, um, they're 32nd against the pass and the secondary hasn't, you know, fully, uh, come back. It's maybe a little bit of a question mark, um, if, if you can find one personnel wise, You know, that that might be it for Ohio State, even though they certainly have some individual, very, very talented players. Denzel Burke is probably going to be, you know, an NFL draft darling and and probably a preseason All-American going into next year. But uh, that unit as a whole, if you're looking for a weak spot on paper, might be the one. Um, Georgia, there really isn't a weak spot. I mean, maybe uh, if you're talking about the injury to Nolan Smith, that that gives that unit um, a little bit of a a lack of depth. But guys like Robert Beal and Jamon Dumas Johnson, uh, Smeal Mondin, I mean, they're, you know, five star after five star, high four star guys uh, all down the uh, the depth chart. So they're they're going to be fine there. The secondary. I mean, Christopher Smith has played really, really well this year. Uh, Javon Bullard's played really, really well this year. Um, they've even got uh, you know Malachi Starks, true freshman, stepping up and, and has become a, a big time player. So um, uh, that secondary, similarly uh, to Ohio State, I mean, they're they're um, a little young back there, freshmen and sophomores for the most part, other than Smith, uh, but still. You know, uh, of course, very, very talented, but maybe that's a, a matchup where Ohio State's uh, receiving core, you know, Harrison and, and Nick Buka and those guys, uh, maybe that tilts a little bit toward Ohio State. Um, but Georgia's just, just very, very solid um, everywhere else. I mean, Stetson Bennett, uh, Heisman finalist, uh, has played really, really well. Everybody continues to doubt him. I sometimes do as well, but um, you know, national championship quarterback, and and uh, believe that he'll be prepared and up for the task, and uh, certainly has a lot to work with. Brock Bowers at tight end, just uh, an incredible playmaker at that position. Um, The receiving core—you mentioned McConkie being uh, banged up. Um, but they have gotten a little healthy, uh, around him. Uh, AD Mitchell has been out for a big chunk of this year, but he is back. Not sure he's a hundred percent, but he at least is back on the field. Um, and, and you know, they've got, they've got talented guys who've made some plays. So, um, if McConkie can't go guys like Marcus Rosmey's, Jack Saint and, and you know Kiers Jackson still around that tight end group. Uh, even with Eric Gilbert entering the transfer portal, um, Darnell Washington is is still there and a big big factor. And and uh, they've got some depth as well. Uh, Brett Seether and and you know of course really talented guys down the list. Like maybe Oscar Delp will be able to step up and uh, kind of break through here, have an opportunity. Maybe um, the offensive line is solid. And even though that uh, Ohio State defensive line, is incredibly, incredibly talented. Um, that's sort of a, you know, uh, maybe a draw as far as if you're going O-line versus D-line. I mean, they, they match up um, pretty pretty equally on both sides. Uh, Georgia has had a little bit of a medical concern. Warren McClendon uh, went down with a low body injury in the, in the Sugar Bowl, did not return. How close to 100% will he be? Um but you know individually on the defensive line, you know, somewhat similar. Ohio State ranks pretty high in team performance, really high in in talent overall. But you've got Jalen Carter and Nazir Stackhouse and uh you know another true freshman who's emerged and, and Michael Williams. Uh so that that George defense is is good and you know young, but but incredibly, incredibly talented top three in team performance top five both against the pass and against the run including number one in uh, in rushing team performance so that might be an area with Ohio State uh, lacking for depth at, at the running back position and maybe not hundred uh, percent even among the guys will play you know that that's a, a matchup that kind of tilts toward Georgia so um, this is a, uh, a a game where, because Ohio State has been so high in our rankings all year, um, and they haven't always played up to it, but I could see Ohio State maybe winning this game. Um, It's possible. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard the sort of the research behind, uh, this might sound like it's out of left field, but um, one of the the biggest indicators of... uh, NCAA tournament performance is actually the preseason AP poll.
0: I Have, I you, think have you heard that correlation, not causation? Probably no, there's, there's
1: there's like actual smart people have studied this uh, and I've, I've actually used it to, to some success in, in NCAA <laughs> tournament uh, pools when I don't pay a whole lot of attention to, to uh, college basketball, but that I was reminded of that when I think of, yeah you know Ohio State was our preseason number one team, and yeah, they're gonna be without some some guys. Um, but I wonder, and they certainly did not play well against Michigan. They were pushed around and and Georgia is capable of doing the same things I think that that Michigan was. but there's part of me that thinks and and this is you know not necessarily uh super evidence based, maybe it's just a little bit of a gut. Um, and it absolutely could be wrong. Um, but there's part of me that thinks, you know, uh, of the matchups, Georgia didn't want to face Ohio state like that, that just getting that explosive offense, um, is just a little bit tougher thing to deal with. I think than a TCU, um, maybe even a Michigan that you beat last year, you know, that, that you had some, uh, that you were able to prep for and, and, you know, have some experience with this. Just, I don't know. I don't love the matchup for Georgia. So um, they absolutely are rightly favored. Um, They absolutely uh, may win. Uh, They may win impressively. They may, you know, do exactly what Michigan did. Maybe even do it better. Uh, Georgia is the number one team in the country. Um, And, and and it wouldn't shock me if they play like it. Um, But there's just a part of me that thinks that, You know this isn't the perfect matchup for Georgia. Uh, It might be the worst matchup for Georgia, and Ohio State uh, is is they've got the talent and they could win this game. So um, I don't hate that we're on Ohio State to cover. We do have Georgia favored, um, but I don't know. It's going to be a fun one. It's it's definitely uh, the 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 most NFL talent maybe uh, of any game that we're going to see and uh, should be a a really, really fun matchup. But I, I think it's going to be a good game too. And, and you know, if we see an upset, uh, I I feel better about Ohio state pulling that off than I, than I do TCU for sure.
0: Xavier. I mean, I'm not seeing an upset here. You got a home game for Georgia (laughs) in the peach bowl. Uh, I understand everything Nick said and he's right. Like, you know, it, if Is Ohio State winning the most shocking thing ever? No. Do they match up pretty well against Georgia for what Georgia has? Yes. I just don't know if this is – I don't think this is Ohio State's season. Uh Maybe that's a little short-sighted. Uh, so I'm on the Georgia side uh pretty heavy here. Uh How do you see it going?
2: Right. I think when you look at this team – when you look at this game, the, the big thing that steps out is the fact that I just don't think Ohio State – has the defense to actually compete in this ballgame. You know, I think if this was Georgia last season, maybe, right? If if this was a Georgia team who last year, you know, was really predicated on the run defense, um, or sorry, run offense, and, you know, Stetson Bennett was still not nearly as uh, prolific in the passing offense, then, yeah, th- th- this was a situation where I think Ohio State would be really, you know, possibly favored in this matchup, right, even with Georgia being a higher-ranked team. The problem is, is Ohio State doesn't have a defense this year, people. You just, they just don't. Ohio State's defense, in my opinion, is high, has been able to hide behind playing mediocre offenses all season. And the one time that they had to play an offense that had a pulse, they gave up almost over 200 yards rushing and almost 300 yards passing. And, and you're looking at a Georgia defense or Georgia offense that has so much. Like, it's not that they just have a great running game with Kenny McIntosh, Kendall Milton, Dejon Edwards, it's also that they have Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington and and Adonai Mitchell, who looks like he's starting to finally get healthy this year, and Lab McConkey, who's getting healthy this year. Don't forget about Kyris Jackson, who will also hit you for a 35-yard one across the middle of the field. Georgia just has too many pieces. And the one question mark that everybody had was, will will Stetson be able to get them the ball? So far, so good. The other piece to this is I would completely agree with Nick if Georgia had not seen a team that is very similar to this roster. When we saw Tennessee, I was – like many Georgia fans, excited for the game, but also terrified to see what a, a, a true, you know, air raid offense would do to the secondary. They held their own. And not only that, they got after the quarterback. And Hendon Hooker is a thousand times better runner than C.J. Stroud. And, and I think that Georgia is going to put heat on C.J., make him make quick decisions the entire matchup, play you know, five, ten, seven to ten yards off the ball and make him beat you with passes in front of him and make him beat you with eight to ten play drives. The other piece to this, and this is why Ohio State for me just doesn't have it in this ball game in particular, health at the running back position just isn't there. Mayan Williams is maybe 70%. Travion Henderson probably isn't playing. So you take away their two big guys in the backfield We're going to now be asking for brand new guys to come in here, take the load. And I just don't think that they have the horses to do that all game with a front four and a front seven in particular that with Georgia, that may not be better than what we saw last year from a talent perspective, but in some ways look just as cohesive, look just as daunting at times, right? Uh, Especially in the running game. Uh, I feel like this year's, whether they're not able to get after the quarterback, we have to manufacture pressure in a lot of other ways. They stopped the run just as well. Obviously Jalen Carter and company, uh, you know, do a really good job of shutting down opposing teams running. Game. We've seen some pretty darn good running teams this season and pretty much shut them down. The, la- the only thing I will give Ohio State is if they look at the last, I don't know, 15 minutes of the LSU game, and that's what they pulled their film from, and they said they're going to just say, We're gonna, our guys are going to win all day long against yours, that might be their best chance of winning this ball game. It's just looking on the outside, I'm, I'm saying CJ is throwing 50-50 balls 15, 50% of the game and just saying Marvin Harrison Jr. and Mekka Ekbuka go win, right? That is their formula, in my opinion, that's going to take for them to win this ball game. because otherwise I don't think that they have it on either end of the field. Offensively, I don't know if they can beat Georgia for four quarters, maybe a quarter, but for four, I'm not sure. And defensively, I think defensively, they are just a lot of talent that doesn't do much. I, watching them on film actually gave me a headache because I was wondering where all the five-star talent was on display when I was watching them against Michigan. Their front four got washed a lot of times. Their uh, their linebacking core, which has a lot of guys on it who may be, you know, day two guys in the NFL this year and maybe day one guys next year just didn't show up. And their secondary.
1: Ugh.
2: Tackling, tackling, tackling. It's like I was watching. You know, Scott would probably have flashbacks of PTSD of old Texas film uh, of the way that these guys were tackling in the not open that field. That old, yeah. Fair yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, and you know of the way that they were tackling some of the athletes that they were seeing game in and game out. And I'm not just talking about Michigan. I'm talking about Penn State, right? I'm talking about you know in other matchups where they did. You know, even Northwestern they didn't tackle. I know they were in. You know. uh crazy weather system in that game, but they just don't tackle. They don't want to tackle. And Georgia's going to say, okay, cool. We're going to put Brock Bowers in space. If you don't tackle, he's going to run for a 50-yard touchdown. Like, that is what Georgia has done all year. They don't put too much on Stetson's plate to do more than give the ball to his his players in space and let his five stars on the outside be five stars. And that's where, for me, I just don't see Georgia losing this game because offensively they have hit a peak – that I don't think many people, including myself, expected out of this offense coming into this year. You know, I, I felt like the offense would have to be better for them to win a championship, but not this good, not, you know, 50 points in the SEC championship game good. And that's where this offense has gotten you so far in this year. And I think it continues to cruise against Ohio State, um, you know, in, in the playoff game.
0: All right. That is going to wrap it up for us today. Over two and a half hours of bowl coverage. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, and, uh, we got the last big, the natty, uh, to, to come. So one more game on the next show, but it's the biggest one. So obviously, uh, spend the most time on it, but, uh, you know, enjoy the rest of the bowl season, enjoy the playoff games. We'll be, we'll be back to break down what happened and who is in the national championship and go over that as well um in, in the coming weeks. so uh that is it for us remember you can follow us all on twitter at Bogman sports for myself at cfb winning edge for Nick, at xavier underscore Trish, t-r-i-c-h-e for xavier we will see you guys next week take it easy everybody thank
1: you to our patreon supporters for keeping our show ad free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects thanks also to blake austin for our theme music to learn more about cfb winning edge visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.